0: Hey, everybody. Today, Rado talks through episode 75 of the podcast. And, uh, hey, everybody. My apologies for being so very, very late with this episode. I mean, I think we're about two weeks late now, give or take. Not that I have a regular release schedule, but, eh, man. Um, all I can do is apologize and uh, beg your indulgence because Jen and I, we have just gone through a very tumultuous period there was a lot of stress a lot of stuff we had to deal with over the last few weeks and i think we finally kind of punched our way through to the other side and life can kind of return to normal for us fingers crossed, and uh, I can get back on track. Starting with this podcast, which is going to be a little bit longer than normal because with the extra two weeks, more questions keep coming in. But that's okay. Folks, keep bringing those questions to questions at rotto.com because you're what makes this uh, podcast go. That email address again, questions at rotto.com. And uh, yeah, otherwise this is going to be a standard episode. First, we are going to talk Uh, games, all your game-related questions. Then Jen will show up a little while in. For some game-related questions, I think she might have something to weigh in on. And then the last half of the show will be all about personal stuff. So, it's going to be kind of by the numbers, but before we get to that, I do want to give a huge shout-out to Ruel Gaviola, a brand-new member of the Rado Runs Through community. In case you don't know, three weeks ago now, although, who knows, by the time you're watching this or listening to this, uh, Ruel joined me for a now weekly live show that we're doing called the R&R Show, because R is Rado, R is Ruel, Rel Gaviola. Rel is a great um, board game Twitch streamer. He's constantly getting online, playing games with his wife, Michelle, and his daughter, Lauren. I have been enjoying his stuff for over a year, and for almost a year, we've been working, working on trying to do something together, and we've finally gotten the kinks out. We are now doing a weekly live show where we get together at noon Pacific time, Uh, every Wednesday to talk about board games and other things, like maybe baby chicks or whatever it might be. And I gotta say, um, even though right now I've only done three episodes, it's probably the most fun I have had doing Rotto Runs Through in years. Certainly the the coolest new thing on my show. And I look forward to continuing to do it as long as Ruel wants to keep going. And uh, so hopefully, it's the beginning of a beautiful board game live video friendship. So, uh, if you want to know more. If you haven't spotted it, there is a link for it down in the notes of this episode, or you can just go to talkshow.rotto.com. You know, the, the website, talkshow.rado.com, and you will find um, all the ones we've put up so far. Plus, uh, while you're there, you can watch my former talk show I did with Tom Vassell, The Corner to Corner Show. This uh, R&R show is basically the sequel, the heir apparent to uh, Corner to Corner, and like I said, Ron and I are having a phenomenal time doing it so far. So check it out. But uh, enough self-promotion for the channel. Folks, you're here to get your questions answered, and we are going going to do that right after this. Okay everybody, questions and answer time. Let's get going. Our first email comes from Darren who says, in the last podcast, someone asked about making one's own copy of a game if they couldn't afford to buy it. And Darren points out, he thinks that some games, like Rollin' Rights, are in a tough position because of this issue. Gone, shown, clever is six dice and a score pad. Well, there's also the, the tray, of course, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, uh, and Rights, they're just literally sheets of paper that you can easily print out online, and usually, often, not even special dice. So, Darren continues... They can't make the score pads readily available like on BoardGameGeek because that would be giving the game away for free, as the dice are easy to get. So, if um if you you know so in the case oh this is interesting I, I see his point. So if you as a player run out of if you've actually bought it and you run out of copies, that's it. And the answer is easy enough. Photocopy, laminate them before they run out. My thoughts? Oh, sure, of course. Um, yeah, I would think anybody who gets a rolling right and turns out they love it so much that they've mostly made it all the way through that um, pad that came with it. Of course, before you run out of pages... Go down to the local whatever a Kinko's is. Kinko's got bought out by FedEx, didn't it? Go down to the local copy store and make the you know make four copies and laminate them and play forever. I, I think that's totally reasonable. I, I mean I I can't think of a reason not to do that. So my thoughts are by all means laminate away. Um, all righty. Then uh, he continues after watching some older videos. Darren has noticed a change, because I used to do Final Thoughts next to the game's box, whereas now I have a graphic. Darren feels something has been lost. Having the box on screen is information that people might want to know. Ah, interesting. So, Darren says, I've talked about why I don't talk about costs. Did I decide not to talk about box size. Or show box size as well. Darren imagines it would only put people off. No one's going to uh, look at the size of the box and want to be more likely to buy it. While box size, like price, is a factor to consider. It's not the game itself, which is what you're really here to show off. So, did I think about this? Or was the move to graphics just trying to be more professional? And if so, what do I think about that? Uh, Darren also noticed that Ryan, when he does videos on my channel, he is actually showing the physical box. Um, I can certainly say... You have given this way more thought than I have, Darren, in all honesty. I made this change not to be more professional, not to obfuscate or, or try to take certain bits of information off the table, but just to make my life easier. Uh, it is often the case. I, when I used to actually physically show the box, sometimes the box is really tiny. Sometimes, if a button shy game, there's not even a box, it's like a little wallet. And how do I actually put that on screen and keep it on screen? Often, when I'm covering Kickstarter prototypes, I don't have have a box at all. In the past, I would actually have to make my own boxes. You know, take an existing box, do a color printout of the mock-up of the art, and then paste that onto a Dominion box or something like that. And um, ultimately, I decided, hey, when I moved back to America and I started this new form of filming where I'm using OBS to capture everything, and I'm talking into webcams, and as I learned more about OBS, it was just, oh my gosh, this is so much easier. Just download the bitmap and put it on screen. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Let's totally do that from now on and that it's it's just it's just a matter of convenience that said i think you're right uh there is... I mean, I when you said something was lost, I thought you were talking about kind of the charm of the channel. That, oh, yeah, I mean, I've always... one of the things I've liked about how I do filming is that I'm not super polished. I'm not super... Um, you know, lots of graphic packages and all that. I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And I, I thought there was kind of a, uh, a retro charm saying, look, here's the physical box I'm talking about. I'm talking about it right now. I'm picking it up. I'm looking at it. Stuff like that. And I... yeah, I I... I I regret that loss, but my life is so much easier, I'm willing to live with it. As for the loss you're talking about, that the audience is losing a critical bit of information, how big is this box... That's easy to see elsewhere. I mean, if if you are in a situation where the box size is a concern, you can go on Board Game Geek, and the box size of every box is listed in there. You go to versions, you find the version you're interested in. Generally, you will find the actual physical dimensions of that box, usually. And um, you know, and if and if you can't, I guarantee you, somebody by that point has done an unboxing of the video, and you can actually see it there. So I, I feel like that information is out there, and um, well, it's it, it, it is it's like the price. It's black and white. You don't need me to offer my subjective opinions about the box size, because you might have half the storage space as me, you might have an entire attic's worth of space, and you don't care about box size. So um, I think the value I add in my final thoughts are my subjective opinions about the actual gameplay, which is what you can't experience. Um, you know, but but a, a physical, concrete thing, like price or box size... I mean, that that's 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 easily quantifiable, and you don't need me weighing in on So that's kind of... I mean, not that I've ever thought about it before, but if somebody asked me, I think my natural inclination would be, look, I'm here to just talk about the quality of the design, the experience. And people can make their own decisions about if it's too expensive or too cheap or too big or too small or whatever. All right. I mean, occasionally I will talk about it normally, only when it's like when I'm really impressed by some micro-game, and I'll say something like, oh my gosh, this is such a big game in such a tiny box. But again, I'm not even talking about the box size. That's still, for me, a reflection of the design of the game, which is what I'm really interested in. It's what I like talking about and evaluating. Okie doke. Uh, Then Darren continues with a random question. Why did I choose green for my green screen. Um, Because, he continues, with a bit of color theory, the two colors are commonly used in Chroma King are blue and green. It's because skin tone has a lot of red and the visible light spectrum goes from blue at one end to red on the other with green in the middle. So blue is further away from red. Uh, Thereby, in theory, uh, working better with flesh tones, which is why... Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up it was always green screen, but these days, in a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes of movies, you see, oh, they're switching over to blue screen. Anyway, making blue the best color to key out for a human being. However, blue eyes are more common than green eyes, so that makes green eyes better. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. But anyway, with all that in mind... There are no eyes to worry about in my video, so technically blue would be better to key out. The uh, question is, what color is the most common of the things you want a close-up of? Mostly cards, green or blue. You've gotten to the point, Derek, uh, Darren. I don't know. I do, Darren. Uh, it's probably close enough 50-50 to make the whole thing moot. It is not. For um, a few months, I did actually switch over to blue screen. I wanted to try it out. And there were actually several things I liked about it. One, the artifacts you get, um, You know, because I, because my hand is actually casting a shadow, and the shadow is darker, so you start to see that. Um, When it was blue, and and that artifact felt more like a natural shadow. I don't think it jumped out as much, because we're all trained, after a lifetime of watching movies and TV shows, that the way the shorthand in in, um, visual cinematography is, oh, it's night, because everything is blue. I go out into the forest in the middle of the night, everything is not blue. Everything is black, but that's how, um, you know, a visual shortcut that, uh, you know, Hollywood uses. And I thought, oh, this works really well. The reason I stopped very quickly is because I found I ran into a lot more compatibility issues with blue. Blue seems to be much more common than green. And unfortunately, green is really common, too. I also... Uh, when I first started out, I tried... I had a... I just basically bought a pack of different color construction paper, and there was yellow, and that was no good, and yellow is really common also. There was a magenta, and I thought I'd give that a try. That didn't work either. But the interesting thing is, Shay, on my channel, also does um, you know close-up green screens, and he has actually switched to a very hot magenta color and it seems to be working really well for him. And he is reporting he's getting a lot less, oh, some of these cards get messed up. Mostly, I just want to pick a color that's really distinct, that appears very rarely. Um, If you were to see my green screen, it is a very bright neon green. But it still, unfortunately, overlaps with a lot of stuff, and it just creates problems. So I'm thinking I might switch over. Oh, and actually, I recall correctly, he was messing with purple as well. And purple is surprisingly less common. I think I might be uh, ordering another pack um, online of different colors, like so experiment with more. I'm kind of leaning towards purple. We'll see how it goes, though. But you're right, strictly speaking, Blue should be better than green, but I found it was actually worse. There were more blue popped up. Lots of sky. Blue is a very, very common color, even more so than green in board gaming. Anyway, with all that said, what you're doing looks fine. I doubt switching to blue would be noticeably improve anything. It did, actually, but it also caused problems. And that's um, the, you know, Darren overthinking the technology. So, uh, and lastly, Darren says, I wondered, do you think about any of this? Oh, right, so that was it. Um, nope. I I just went deep into the thought process. And that was it from Darren. Uh, Darren, we are now moving on to Gerard, who is super excited to be able to play board games face-to-face with other people. I'm sure because you got vaccinated. Well done, Team Vaxxer Gerard. Right. Gerard is hesitant to participate in online games because uh, didn't care for the social... prefers the social aspect of playing in person. And wonders, do I ever get to play games with people other than Jen in person, like we did back in Malta when we played Charterstone? Um, yes, w- when we were in Malta, I mean, there there were some. We had some friends who would occasionally make the long ferry ride over to Gozo, and um, you know, like the, the the folks behind Mighty Boards, uh, which is uh, a, you know, a strong up and coming board game publisher, is based out of Malta. So I knew them, and sometimes they'd come over and play. But we had a British couple friend, uh, Dave and Angela, who every few months would come over to uh, Malta for a little quick, like, week-long holiday. And um, when they did, we would usually spend a solid day playing games with them. And that was really great. And uh, we kind of have something like that here. We have some friends uh, up north of us, Steve and Betsy. And we hadn't seen them for over a year, but recently we've done a couple of game days. Because they live close to, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's five-hour drive, four or five hour drive to get to them. And so it's not something we would normally do, but they live in an area close to a glass artisan group that meets like once a month. And Jen likes to go to this uh, glass meetup. And it's a real pain to drive five hours there, have her meeting, and then drive five hours back. And Steve and Betsy have been really kind to let us spend the night in their guest room. So we've done that a few times. And we've done it recently, uh, just in the last couple of months. And it's been really great to see them. So we've got that going on, although um, we do couch it in ulterior motives. It's really mostly driven by Jen's need to you know attend her glass meetups. But then we have a really great time playing with Steve and Betsy. And and so it has been nice to see them again. righty, We tend to think of Steve and Betsy as our American David and Angela. All right. Moving on. Uh, Gerard loves my take on gaming and, uh, and uh, how I make it about the games rather th- uh, than me which is why Gerard started following me in the first place. The only criticism Gerard can mention is how I show the beginning of how to play games. Would I ever consider showing the last move to end the game or anything like that? All right. Uh, is, oh, yeah, you're complaining about how I show the beginning, but I never show the end. Um, It is a fair point. I have occasionally played just all the way through. Every once in a while it happens. I'm in the zone, or it's a particularly short game. Um, and sometimes it's been a particularly long game, and i played all the way through. I guarantee you, every time I do that, that is Paolo's worst nightmare. Because the longer I keep Filming as I'm doing a run through, the more my brain starts to shut down while having to balance multiple strategies between me and Jen. Because, of course, most games compound and get more and more complex uh, as the game gets closer to completion. So my error rate goes up considerably. And at one point, Paolo said, could you just stop doing that? You're driving me nuts! Because it just gets out of control. I mean, I can't even get the scoring right by the time I'm done with these things, and I can't even do simple arithmetic, which I am capable of doing. But, you know, after I'm so mentally fatigued, because doing these run-throughs, the way I do them, is very, very, again, mentally fatiguing. So, but you're asking, hey, could I just do the run-through, and then, okay, I, I could stop filming, and then I could just finish the game myself, and then just come back for the last turn. That is a possibility, but that would triple the amount of time it would takes me to cover a game. And as a result, I would, simply speaking, cover fewer games. Because I'd be having to spend more time on fewer games, and I have always... Um, prioritized quantity over quality, which I know drives a lot of people nuts, but I'm trying to cover as many games as I can. So that, I think, would be the main reason I would not start um, doing your suggestion, which I do think is excellent. And honestly, I probably should do it, but I just don't know that I have the mental fortitude or the time to do it. Anyway, continuing on, uh, you thought about doing a... Oh, uh, uh, Gerard has thought about doing run-throughs themselves, but totally agree... Uh, and I totally agree that you need to have table presence, and Gerard doesn't have that. So uh, Gerard's mom and he were playing cribbage. Oh, okay. So that was just an observation. Um, yeah, well, I, nothing. There's no harm in trying. Maybe you have more um, charisma and table presence than, uh, than you think. I love how you misspelled Um, uh, That you need presents on the table to unwrap as opposed to, you know, presents. But you never know. Uh, you only live once. No harm in trying. You've got a smartphone. That's how I started. But anyway, uh, George mom and he were playing cribbage on a train when they were in Italy, and they got a few people asking, uh, "What were you playing?" And he notes that I have mentioned that Jen and I play board games at restaurants. Can we elaborate? Well, first of all, I'll elaborate by saying we don't really do that anymore. <laughs> um, I, you know, as that, that, is, that is a holdover from when we first got into gaming and we were so in love with gaming and I was still working full-time in the video game industry, so we were always trying to squeeze games in whenever we could. If we went on vacation, we took games with us. If we went to a restaurant, we took games with us because we just didn't have much opportunity to game together. These days... That is, things are not the same. We have many, many opportunities to game with each other. We're, I mean, we don't have enough time to play. Uh, or, you know, we're over, I, I misspoke. We're pretty much almost overloaded with the games we have to play right now. And going to the restaurant now is a respite from playing games. Going on holiday is taking a break from playing games, because for us, at this point, playing games is literally work. It's fun work, we love our work, but it is still work, and it's not quite the same. So we are not trying to stuff gaming into every spare moment we have 24-7. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't think of the last time we did. Have In the three years since we've been back to the States, have we? Maybe... Once or twice, but if we did, it's because I still got to get this gameplay. But Jen wants to go to lunch. Okay, well, we'll combine two. We're gonna—it's a working lunch. We're gonna play a game while waiting for our Red Robin burgers or whatever to show up. So I, I'm in a very, very weird state uh, about all of that right now. But it's certainly not something that is common in our lives anymore. Once upon a time, it was so common. I actually did a top ten restaurant games. I don't know if it makes any sense to revisit that list now. Uh, in all honesty, not while Rado runs through continues at the pace it is these days. Okay. Hello, Lance. Lance is a patron of mine. Thank you very much for supporting the show, Lance. If anybody's curious about supporting the show, you can go to um, patreon.rado.com. Got all kinds of background levels. You get all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and I hope Lance is enjoying it. But anyway, continuing with Lance. Uh, Look at me. I just slowly, smoothly snuck that in there. Uh, All right. I didn't sneak anything at all. That was very brilliant. But anyway, so uh, Lance points out that mine is the only Patreon. He's actually a, a part. Thank you very much again, Lance. You actually went out of the way to create an account to do it. I so appreciate the support. Anyway, Lance continues that uh, he's not uh, typically a viewer of videos on YouTube or Patreon. Uh, so Lance was wondering if I'd ever considered doing any kind of audio show for Patreon backers. Is there any way to create it? There, there is a way to create an RSS address on Patreon that backers I have access to you can manually put in the podcast app. That is interesting. Uh, just thought but as someone who only has time for audio content it would be awesome. So it's interesting. I mean, Patreon backers, the main thing every month for only 2 bucks a month, you get my monthly ramble video, which sometimes are me playing games, but more often are me talking about topics, doing top 10s, you know, uh looking at the state of what games have come out, you know, doing behind the scenes of, you know, my show and all that. And it seems like I could very easily Every time I put a ramble up, I can say, oh, and by the way, here's the audio of that ramble so that you could listen to it on the road. That makes sense. I kind of like that. I think I'm going to look into that in the future. Um, it wouldn't necessarily make sense for what I'm actually doing. Sometimes my rambles are literally just a solo game. But I kind of like that. Yeah, I think I'm going to try and make that so, Lance. Thanks for the question. And again, thank you for your support. All righty. Okay, from Henrik. Just had to chime in. With some input on the new clickbait titles from the roundup experts excerpts that I'm doing, and for folks who don't know, uh, about a month ago I started pulling. Uh, you know, every month I do a roundup where I talk about every game we played for like three or four minutes in a countdown format. And a lot of those games that appear in the roundup are games I've never run through, and I probably never will run through, but we did play it. And a lot of people weren't seeing those videos, so I've started pulling them out and making just little um, three-minute videos. I'm calling them Roto Rapid Reviews, although they're really excerpts from the roundup. And as Henrik points out, I am experimenting um, with uh, not just saying, oh, this is a Roto-Rapid review of the name of the game, but I'm actually trying to do clickbaity titles. Like, is this the best auction game ever? You know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's what Henrik is talking about. Uh, and he says, they are not amazing. And it feels really off-brand when they show up in um, Henrik's feed. Uh, Henrik doesn't mind uh, uh, posting them as extra snippets for the extra exposure, which is the main reason I'm doing it. But the uh, titles are an eyesore in the otherwise flawless video flow. So, I guess that's some feedback. And I appreciate that, um, but i got to say, oh my gosh, they work. They work so well. Because I had done a few of these last year when publishers had actually asked, and I just put them up as just kind of, oh, it's a Roto Roundup, it's just the name of the game, and nobody cared. And then I start doing it again this year, and I'm doing uh, just a little bit more razzmatazz with like a little bit of, um, you know, this is a game you got to check out. You know, that kind of clickbait. Although I'm terrible at it, I just I I do not have the clickbait gene. I have to really struggle trying to come up with something that sounds like, oh, that's clickable. I would want to hear about that if I saw it. But oh my gosh, these things are doing um, like 10x what they were doing last year when I tried this with nothing but just the name. So. At the end of the day, I'm, I, I'm sorry, Henrik. I, I appreciate, but they work. They work really well. And um, at the end of the day, I am trying to still grow my channel, and uh, so I, I think I'm gonna have to stick with them. And I apologize, but at least know that it is not in vain when you see your beautiful RSS feed, because you're not even looking. It looks like you're pulling them out of YouTube some other way. Because for most people, they subscribe. They're just most people are just seeing these pop up in their suggestions, and you know, and that's you know, I mean, it's like. Oh, I forget what it is. About 50% of my viewers come from subscribers on YouTube, but the other 50% are suggestions. And so that's a huge market where if I can make something that people say, oh, I'll click on that, that, um, you know, that's ginormous. And so just know that even though it bothers you a little bit and it kind of upsets your pristine RSS feed, it is for a good purpose. It is not in vain. It is literally making a huge difference to the bottom line and helping me continue to do this show. Um, So, But anyway, thanks for the feedback second note from Henrik is that it would be great if I had some kind of indicator to the run-throughs that they're not for me. Uh, Right, you're talking about Shay and Ryan, and um, eventually Ruel. I think we've actually got our first booked Ruel gig that'll be coming, I think, next month, where he's actually going to start doing um, live run-throughs of games. Anyway, so you're guessing... Uh, you've already considered it, of course. Um, but Henrik would love to see Shea Runs Through um, for some clarity about what to watch. Uh, I, I think it would still be on brand with the, you know, um, Rotto Runs Through to say Shea Runs Through or or what have you. Anyway, just uh, Henrik's two cents, of course. Uh, and I should continue doing them if it helps with a lot of the ad click structure. Again, it does help. And, uh, you know, ever since Shea came on the channel, there have been people fairly regularly asking, hey, could you please let us warn us that this is a Shea video? And honestly, that's... that's... That's the reason I don't do it, because if I did, there's no choice about it. They would have a sizable drop off in viewership. Um, because, oh, Rotto's not there. I'm a pass. I'm not even going to bother clicking on it. And to me, that is fundamentally not fair to the publisher. Um, you know, because these are paid Kickstarter previews, what we're primarily talking about here. And, um, you know, the publishers have, you know, you know, paid for the promotional benefit of being on the channel. And if I do something that literally sabotages that game's opportunity to, you know, reach a market market, I, I, that, again, that just seems to be ill-advised. And, and it also, it drives me nuts that people wouldn't want to watch Shay. I think Shay, at this point, um, is doing as good a job as me, and ultimately, he often does a better job than me. He's certainly much less error-prone. I really enjoy his sense of humor. He's, he's not quite as high manic energy as me, but he has a really dry wit. He often makes me laugh out loud in his run-throughs, because I watch all of them all the way through. Because... He's doing my style. And I love my style. So it's great to see somebody else do it. I can see why I have been as successful as I have, because there is something really compelling. And so, I don't do it now, because I'm just trying to give his videos the best chance. What makes me most happy is, um, a year on, we're starting to see some people saying, oh, it's one of the Rotto videos. I was hoping it'd be another one from Shay, And um, I want more of that. Because honestly, um, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I just think it's for the best for the channel that, hey, you're here for the game. It's not about the personality. It's not about me. It's not about Shay. It's not about Ruel. It should be about the game. And Shay, I mean, we've worked really hard to get him into a spot where he can really... He makes all the same decisions. He demonstrates the same way I do. He has a... My, my voice is deeper. And like I said, I probably have an extra twenty percent energy. Where again, he's a little bit more understated, but the gameplay content is the same. So um, I, 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 that, that's why I've been hesitant to do it thus far. You know, things might change over time, but you know that that's the thinking right now because I really just don't want to undercut the opportunity for those games to uh, get as many eyeballs as possible. Anyway, since they are Kickstarter previews. Hey, Ben. Ben says there's quite a bit of discussion lately about colonial themes in board games. Ben's not sure if it was sparked by the Jason Perez video, uh, or series of videos about Puerto Rico, but uh, glad you know Ben is glad that uh, Jason released those videos and excited to see the upcoming re-theming of Puerto Rico. Me too. Especially because, just between you and me, I made that happen! I am the one! I was so impressed by Jason's video, I reached out to him and said, hey... You should actually try to get this, make it a real thing instead of just a flight of fancy. And I put him in touch with contacts I had with the publisher. And I wasn't sure, I had my doubts anything would come of it, but that's what directly led to the actual reprint. Or there was going to be a reprint anyway, but the re theming, um, it makes me so happy that I was able to, um, you know, put that chocolate and peanut butter together and create something all the more delicious than its component parts. So, yes, I'm very excited too. Anyway, um, Ben's thought, question is What are my thoughts? Uh, about games that have a relatively pasted-on theme, such as Amerigo or Macau, versus games that call you out for uh, the issues related to colonialism, like Santa Maria or Maracaibo. If I were to play Amerigo for the first time today, do I think I'd couch the mechanisms in thematic terms any differently when teaching Jen the game um, than I did eight years ago when it first came out? And, oh, I see you have a question here for Jen. Sorry, I missed that. But honestly, I don't think Jim would have much to say anyway. Um, but you're right. Uh, you're wondering how, how Jim would feel about it as well. Um, I think it's a it's a great question. Uh, let's see. I think it's it's so weird. I mean, th- th- you know, obviously this is a really deep issue. My number one thing is, above all else, above historical verisimilitude or you know opportunities to teach or you know whatever. The number one concern I think um, for the 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 publishing industry of board games is, let's try to make games more inclusive. We're trying to make people happy. We're trying to improve the quality of their lives. And if we do it well, we'll make some money. It just makes sense. For them to try to make a more diverse and inclusive and, and welcoming version of a game. Because, hey, that means potentially greater sales. Yes, you will see a fall off in sales from people who decry cursed wokeness showing up in my board games. But you know what? It's worth losing that audience to get the broader audience because board gaming is growing fast, fast, fast. And so, um, if you can make a game more open, inclusive, welcoming to everybody, why wouldn't you do it? Um, And yeah, eight years ago, when I'll be honest, when Amerigo came out eight years ago, I just thought it was one of the most amazing games I played that year, and I didn't give a second thought. It's kind of interesting. The whole thing about colonialism, for the most part, shows up in these uh, European-developed games. And I've kind of wondered, just hypothetically, if You know, if if it's just a fundamentally part of European culture to look at colonialization through a fundamentally different lens, then, you know, uh, because it's kind of like, well, uh, uh, every time you talk about colonialism and, you know, being a a problematic... topic in board games, how is that any different than the uh, so many games are about America's, or the United States' expansion to the West? That was just a different form of colonialism. Uh, because we set out in the East, we took that over, and we just crept west, 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 displaced all the native people. Of course, there's just an untold litany of horror stories there that to this day, we have still not made amends for. And um, it's weird. Uh, you you don't see that much pushback. You see a little bit. Some people were upset by Great Western Trade the way it handled Native Americans. Although, I mean, I'm sure the developers of Great Russian Trail were trying to be thoughtful because they go out of the way and say, look, we are not displacing the Native peoples of the lands. We are literally engaging in trade with them. That's what you do. But it's easy to to interpret it through a different lens. And if you can avoid that, why not avoid it? So I guess that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, If you are going to do it, though, do it with purpose. Do it with meaning. I, I you know, I know uh, Santa Maria, I'm glad you brought up Santa Maria. It tried and maybe didn't do a good as job, but then they did a much better job with the expansion where they actually gave full uh, um, um, voice to the indigenous people's perspective, because now you could actually play as, um, you know, the South American, um, you know, native cultures who were having their land taken from them by the European traders, and there can be theft and stuff like that. And and I think, you know, good on them for trying to be more than just, oh, something we're playing, but to actually be about something, to educate, inform, enlighten. And if you're going to do it, Please go that extra mile. Um, if you don't have to do it, then I mean, again, um, you know, if you haven't seen it, folks, go to Shelf Stories. Uh, you know, go to YouTube and search for Shelf Stories. You'll find Jason Perez's channel. And uh, a couple months ago, he did a video where he said, "Look, here's a way you could re take the colonization out of uh, Puerto Rico, but you don't have to turn it into a science fiction game. It could still feel like it is a part of that time in the world. You don't have to change any mechanisms at all. Do that." Jason, uh I am so amazed by him. He has shown the industry a way forward to um you know to uh, uh, appease folks who might be upset that oh history is being ignored. Well, no, just show a different facet of history. How about that? And at the same time be more open and inclusive so more people can have a good time around the table. That's what I want to see more of. And you know, hey, if Queen ever decides to reprint Amerigo hire Jason. Get Jason on as a consultant, because he will help you make your game better. And I I think that's kind of where I'm at at this point. I think that's what you're asking. What were my thoughts? So those are some random thoughts. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to paint with too wide a brush. It's just... it is weird that, you know, there was such a prevalence towards the colonization theme. And I do wonder if, again, there's just some... if do... I mean, I... It's where I lived in Europe for almost 10 years, but I never talked to anybody about that. European listeners, is there, deep down in your cultural psyche, some kind of, well, you know what? That era of exploration was a, a time of adventure and heroism where we were going out and exploring the world. I, you know, Because that's kind of how we Americans look at the Western expansion, and we just kind of turn a blind eye to all the pain and suffering we cause. I wonder if something's going on there. I don't know. I, I'm just talking out of my butt so it's uh but I the most important thing to answer your question uh, Ben is I'm glad to see things are changing but we're not done folks because victory bhg followed up with uh, uh, wanted to point out the art, the article on Atlantic.com, or the Atlantic.com, that went into the uh, colonial you know the uh, the propensity for colonialism uh, in board gaming and uh, you know uh, you know, and, and actually, I think that's where it was first announced that they were retheming Puerto Rico, and how um, you know, Mombasa is going to be completely rethemed as well by Alexander Pfister. Anyway, uh, Victory would love to hear my thoughts on it. I think you kind of just did. Um, and uh, all right, as I see, then from Darren, there's been a lot of talk uh, about uh, slavery colonization in games. Personally, Darren would like to see a game from the African point of view. Having watched a few videos on African history, which Darren found fascinating, uh, because, you know he's just never been made aware of this stuff, and everybody should know it. It's oversimplifying, of course, but in the Middle Ages, the African kingdoms were on par with European empires. When the Americans were discovered, the West African kingdoms started selling slaves to Europe, which were shipped to the American colonies. Over time, the African kingdoms got more and more of the uh, slave trade because it was profitable. But then, when the United States abolished slavery, made it illegal, the African kingdoms had a product that no one was buying... Um, and you know, of course, this is obviously very simplified. Um, uh, and on top of that, they'd spent centuries getting rid of their skilled and healthy workers by sending them overseas. And so they were left with a population, um, of unskilled workers, no industry, and their economies collapsed overnight, which then ultimately led to the European, hey, you got a lot of resources and no armies, uh... Uh, that's kind of interesting. And it kind of is one of the things that led to the colonization of Africa, which is a fascinating observation, one I don't know at all either. And I think probably most gamers don't. And obviously, that is a subject that could be tackled in games. So anyway, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Darren continues... We've seen this point of view... uh, We've seen the story from the European point of view and the American point of view, but not from the African point of view, not that Darren knows of. I can think of one game, and there's probably other ones, and I actually covered it on the channel. It's called DR Congo. It's not exactly what you're talking about. It's set in the uh, 1950s, if I recall correctly, after... Was it... Uh, the, the colonizing power i do not remember which country it was and I, I i feel bad about that but the colonizing power pulled out created a power vacuum and um you know led to the problems of the you know led directly to all the turmoil and strife in the Democratic Republic of Congo there is today. And this game hypothesized, what if it had been handled differently? What if the uh, colonialization had not led to where we are now, but there had been a different path? It really tended to focus on capitalism as a solution for ills. DR Congo... Uh, is the name of the game. Looks like Dr. Congo, but DR Congo is a game that actually is about something, that has something to say. And now you may disagree with the thesis of the game, but it is very interesting that it is a game that is trying to use its art form to get an idea across and spark conversation. It was also a really good game, too, about rebuilding the infrastructure of the economy um, by leveraging the power of capitalism. Um, But I should say, always very important, heavily regulated capitalism, because unregulated capitalism run amok is a problem, Uh, which is why it was a game, if I recall correctly, about government agencies trying to regulate capitalism and use it as a vehicle for change. So that's an interesting thing. Although, again, it's not quite what you were talking about, but it's the one I can think of. Anyway, Darren doesn't um, know how exactly that game would work, but Darren wants to see it Along the same lines, a uh, Bronze Age collapse uh, game, where uh, the game starts at the end of uh, of a typical civilization game, and um, you know with uh, you know warring and trading and disasters upon disasters. In the end, you're a shadow of your former glory, and you just try to ride it out, I guess is what Darren is suggesting. Whoever has the best barely surviving uh, civilization wins. Um, And then he posits questions It would be interesting from a player point of view. And he says, there's a million civilization-building games, but not civilization-collapsing. He hasn't played Pelepanes, but the way he describes it... Yeah, Pelepanes is kind of like that, but it is still mostly about the upward swing. I gotta believe there are games that do this, Darren. I couldn't think of what they are, and if they're not, there should be. I think it's a great idea. Uh, anyway, um, he'd love to see both of these topics, but the African history is the one he'd really like to see. Um, the assumption is that Africa is poor because there are tribal people who, quote, never got civilized, but that's simply not true. It's a very common untruth that supports the idea that Africans were lesser than whites. And, um, it's not, it's, it's, the, the subject is not done justice um yeah uh, um also youtube has a lot of videos on called why is africa poor that people should watch so that's a suggestion i think it's interesting i think the problem with what you're suggesting is the problem in general is making a game that is fun and compelling and um you know educational but Uh, you know, and and enriching, and it gives you a wider scope of the world, but that isn't so much of a downer that nobody wants to play it. I mean, I think that's something that Freedom the Underground Railroad really struggled with, as, you know, probably the high-water example of a game that got a lot of attention, is really solid, very fun, and thoughtful uh, cooperative game that people say, oh, I'm really glad I played that, but I can't play that again. It's just so harrowing and depressing, and that's kind of what you're talking about with both of these. But, um, you know, I, I I I find the uh the idea and the desire laudable. Okay. Let's move on to Rip, who uh Right. Uh, my last top 10 with Jason Perez. Uh, Rip wanted me to know, because we mentioned this, and believe me, Rip, you were not alone in pointing out that the original Bonanza has a two-player official variant from um, that was in the Rio Grande edition. Check the last page. He actually attached the rule book. Believe me, Rip, I got told by at least a half a dozen people when I put the video up, I said in my top 10 um, card games that I love Bonanza the Duel because it's, hey, it's Bonanza for two players, and Rip points out that there is an official variant. Here's my understanding. One, it's terrible. It captures none of the feel of what makes Bonanza so great and wonderful and compelling. And it's pretty much widely um, dismissed out of hand. Plus, as I understand it, when Bonanza originally came out and for many, many years, it was a three-player minimum game. And the two-player Rio Grande variant is a relatively new thing. So it was those two things combined that prompted me to pretty much just dismiss it out of hand and kind of forget about it. But... Credit requires is due. Yes, there is a two-player version of uh, Bonanza, but I'd rather play it with three players, or I'd rather play Bonanza the Duel, which is so brilliant. Anyway, um, we continue. Rip has a question, not related with politics, but with the Kickstarter influence over the board game industry. Uh, first of all, in the video game industry, people encourage each other to not pre-order games, I assume mean players, mostly due to how marketing works. Um, you know, Many games are released unfinished, with many bugs, or missing promised features, and because of this, we all know that pre-orders are bad. See Cyberpunk 2076 as an example, or Anthem. I have not seen either of these, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, but back to board gaming and Kickstarter, do I... Agrotto agreed that Kickstarter is mostly a pre-ordering platform with a minimum one-year wait time for the board games to arrive in um, backers' hands. Uh, To answer your question, yeah, in some cases, um, there are certainly games that are going to ship no matter what. Uh, Pretty much, I think, anything cool mini or not puts on Kickstarter. You are literally just uh, having a more long-tail pre-order system. But there are many, many, many... Many games. I would even go so far as to say the majority of games I hire, I know, or I, that I that I am hired to do previews for, I know for a fact because I am talking with these developers that if they can't hit their funding goals, the game will never come to be. Um, it is still, I mean, the the really big, super splashy mini games that are fait complete; those get all the attention, but those are outnumbered five to one, ten to one, by all the little passion projects that still show up every week, like clockwork, that if they can't find their funding, they will just disappear. So, uh, to answer your question, yes, it can be a pre-order platform, but for the most part, that is not what Kickstarter is. Kickstarter is still, and now GameFound, hopefully GameFound ultimately replaces Kickstarter, because it's so superior. Um, But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but uh, crowdfunding platforms still, for the most part, are a way for makers to make their dreams come true and for um, consumers to help be part of making that dream come true. I think that's still the driving force behind the majority, not all, and certainly, I mean, and, and most of these smaller ones don't get the attention, so it feels like they're not the majority. But trust me, I cover a lot of Kickstarter games and I. And for every um, you know one Kickstarter I do cover, there's an additional nine that I said no to that I know about, and the vast majority, it's not as simple as oh yeah, this is just a blatant um, you know just perverting what Kickstarter is supposed to be for. But anyway, continuing. As maybe I know, in the video game industry, pre orders are made available with a couple of months before the game is released. But on Kickstarter and how things differ there, backing, pre ordering a game is usually made within a year or maybe more until the game will finally exist. Do I think that things should change? Is there a possible solution to not wait so much, or should the concept of pre ordering board games on Kickstarter? I disagree with both of those. Honestly, I guess you can consider me part of the problem, Rip, but I think I like the system. I think it's great. And I am saying, from my perspective, where I see every month, dreams coming true that could not happen if it weren't for this platform, I think that is such a net good. Gloomhaven, as we know it today, would not exist if it were not... if, if, if um, you know, if... Isaac Childress could not have gotten the funding for such a huge, audacious, ambitious game. I mean, any publisher would have laughed Isaac out of the room. We're not publishing that. That's insane. Look how complex it is. Look how heavy it is. Look how heavy the box is. Look how much stuff you're putting in there. This will fail. No, pass, go. And you know, no one would ever see what is now, uh, many consider the greatest board game of all time. Certainly the highest ranked on BGG. Kickstarter made that happen. And it was not just a simple, um, you know, uh, uh, uh cash grab scheme. And again, I, I, I'm I am happy the Kickstarter was able to make that happen. I am and you know, I mean there's also mid-tiers like uh Queen Games. Queen Games, um, you know, and Tasty before them, they need Kickstarter to be able to be competitive because this is, I mean, board gaming is not a high volume industry. It is, you don't go into board gaming to get rich. People do get rich in video game industry because you know it's a factor of 100 bigger than a bo- thousand bigger than the board game industry. Um, but yeah, people are going making board games for out of love, because there are better ways to spend your time if you just want to make a lot of money. So I am excited th- by the fact that these can happen. and yes, things go wrong. Seize the Bean is a great example. Seize the Bean couldn't exist. Seize the Bean ran into problems, and ended up taking them three years instead of the one year. But you know what? the whole country is in the middle of a global shipping crisis and global production crisis. We can all afford to cut them some slack. If you don't want to, I mean, no one's holding a gun to your head, Rip. If you don't like it, just don't back. And fingers crossed, hope it will ship somewhere down the line. There's no harm here, no foul, as far as I'm concerned. That's kind of where I am on this topic. Alrighty. And, um, all righty. And as a side note, my total... or oh, Rip's total back games on Kickstarter is five. Um, I don't know. I, these days, I don't tend to back... I mean, I used to back games on Kickstarter a lot when it first started, because I was... Um, I hadn't started Roto Runster yet. These days... I don't buy games. I have too many games that have been submitted to me for review. I generally have to get rid of half of those games. I don't have room for more games. So occasionally, like I did, most of the time on Kickstarter I just back expansions because the publisher's never going to send me the expansion and I do want to have it. So like, um, oh, um, I'm so happy that Manhattan Project, Energy, Empire, uh, Cold War is finally going to make it because another publisher stepped in after the untimely death of the original publisher. And, uh, oh, I did the one for, I backed, uh, let's waltz for Grand Austria Hotel. So I don't do very many, um, but if I didn't do Roto Runs Through, I'd probably be back in one a month at the very least, maybe two, because uh, I love games and I again I love being part of the excitement. I love helping make somebody's dreams come true in a real tangible way. Anyway, though, moving on to Jack, who wonders, uh, you know, when I did my Imperium Classics and Legends video. I ended torn over whether I was going to keep it, despite the take that. So Jack wants to know, did we end up keeping it, or do I think it'll go away in the next purge? Oh, Jack, it's gone. It's gone, or it's it's in the box to go. My copies of Imperium will be available for everybody to play at the next Dice Tower West convention, because that's where they're going. These days, the games I don't keep, I pretty much end up donating to that convention library. Um, And ultimately, what was it? What, what finally pushed me over the edge? Because I loved it. I thought it was so great. Oh, did I do a video with somebody? Oh, yes, it was... <sighs> was it doing the top 10 card games with Jason that made me realize, oh my gosh, if I'm going to sit down and play a card game, I'd want to play one of these. There's just no way I'd play Imperium. As brilliant as it is. Um, and, you know, rethinking f- uh, Funfair... Oh my gosh! I would—I mean, I loved Imperium Classics, but Funfair is amazing too, and it has none of that, so it's just ultimately gone. Same way that Empires of the North, which is absolutely brilliant, ultimately went—I, you know, it broke my heart. It's so great, but I'm not going to play it solo. Uh, if I—if I'm going to play a solo game, it's going to be more Marvel Champions, and um, while I, I, Jen and I would love playing it. We'd rather play a game where there's just no chance of us having to kick each other's sandcastles down. So, sadly, I say goodbye to what might be the best game of 2021, quite frankly. Imperium Classics. Thanks for writing, Jack. Okay, we move on to Vinit who hopes uh, Jen and I are doing well, hopes Jen's eyes are healing. Um, Yes, for folks who don't know, Jen, over the last year, has had to have her eyes re-lasicked like four or five times because they just kept not taking. It's looking really promising. After you do it, you have to wait a couple months because the eye settles down into what the final focal length. Jen is cautiously optimistic she will not have to go under the knife again. Anyway, thanks for asking. But your real question, what makes a game a success on Kickstarter? Uh, Bennett has some observations. Uh, miniatures seem to help. All right, uh, uh you know, Bennett uh, would like to understand a game's success around games published by indie or one-person developers. For example, Distilled and Scrumpy have similar sets of themes, some of the same mechanisms, and, um, both on Kickstarter, yet Distilled doing gangbusters, while Scrumpy just ba- barely enough. Why? Oh, man, um, Bennett, if you could answer that question... Every board game publisher would beat down your door for that answer. Nobody knows. It's sure miniatures help, but there's examples of miniatures that fail or miniatures that, oh, well, yeah, this would have probably done the same even if it didn't have the miniatures and incurred this extra cost. It's a combination of things. It's the art. I would certainly say that Distilled looks more visually appealing than Scrumpy. And I'm not saying Scrumpy looks bad at all, but Scrumpy had a simpler look to its art style. So that might be one thing. Um, did, uh, who I, A big part of it is people are more inclined to back if there is a track record. So look at the designer, look at the publisher. The designers and the publisher. Um, does the, the, I mean, I, honestly, I don't remember right now. I mean, heck, I guess I could look. And actually, you've got me kind of curious. So I think I am going to look. Let me bring up Chrome. Hello. And because I've got in the background just for such an occasion, let's look who did Distilled. All right, or which you know coming out next year, I'm sure Scrumpy is coming out next year as well. All right, so Distilled is from Paverson Games, uh, Dave Beck. All right, those don't really jump out at me. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, you know, hey, this is one of those things. This Distilled probably will not exist without that success on Kickstarter. This is to the previous question. Example, this is what the majority of Kickstarter still is. People with a dream, making their dream come true. That is what Distilled is. First-time publisher, probably a first-time designer, too. So it's certainly not that at all. Dave Beck, what else have you done? That's it. First-time designer. Um, Right. Let's look at Scrumpy. Uh, S-E-R-U-M-P-Y. All right. All right. So Invincible Games. Another publisher and another designer that I am not familiar with. And yeah, I think again, it's, yep, first timers, first timers. So this is, or they did reflorestation and zoology, but obviously those didn't really. So, okay. So it's not the pedigree. It's not the backdrop that put one over the other. So what the heck is it? It's a combination of things. I'll tell you one thing. Let's contrast and compare the presentation, Look at the distilled box as presented versus the scrumpy box as presented. People are having to make decisions off of touchy-feely stuff like this. The scrumpy presentation is demonstrably poorer than the distilled presentation. The distilled pr- game looks like, oh, that's like, that looks like a game I could go down to the local store and buy. It, it gives me more confidence. Whereas the scrumpy looks a bit more... um. See, actually, now I'm now I'm inclined to go to the Scrumpy Kickstarter page. What did that look like? Kickstarter, uh, arr, uh Scrumpy, boop. All right, the Card Cider by Invincible Games. Yeah, I I think art is going to play a part in it, and um, you know, it's going to be a big part of it is presentation. Actually, let's compare the two. Let's go. Let's uh, look at Kickstarter. Distilled. Let's compare their Kickstarter. I mean, because that's at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I did a run-through for both of them. Hopefully, that helped some people make their decision as to what they wanted to do. Why can't I find Kickstarter Distilled? Kickstarter.com Distilled. Uh, all right, yeah. Okay, there we go. But it, um, I would say right off the bat, Distilled had a demonstrably superior presentation. And it's not that Scrumpy has a bad presentation, but Scrumpy, I don't think, fills somebody with the same level of confidence that, wow, this is a real thing. Um, It it has more of kind of like a, let's put a show together in our backyard kind of feel. Um, Literally, the very first image of a video on their page is... A silly looking one. Whereas if we look at the first image of the Kickstarter page, it's just nothing but professional, high quality stuff. Cool little animated gifs to give you a sense of what the game feels like, what it moves like. Did they do that on Scrumpy? Nope. Um, and okay, and and again, Scrumpy has more silly, kind of low rent. Hey, let's just look, make ourselves look silly. They they, they don't look like they're taking it as seriously as Distilled does. Here's another thing. I love Scrumpy. The vast majority of people on Kickstarter see the word "Scrumpy" and they think, "Well, what is that? Is that some kind of party game? I don't know what Scrumpy means. It sounds like a made-up thing." Distilled um, immediately makes people think of distilling, you know, spirits. That's what it is, and I think I think in this case it's mostly going to be presentation because they both came from the same place. I mean, I, of course, another big one is cost. Let's see what was distilled asking. They were asking fifty-five for their base game, Scrumpy was asking 33 pounds. So they're kind of in the same ballpark. If they were both coming out at the same time, and they were asking for roughly the same amount of money, are you going to go for the one that looks really polished and professional, or the one that looks a little bit more um, low rent? I think maybe that's what it's going to come down to more than anything else. I'm sad to say it. Um, Because personally... I like Scrumpy more. You will notice I covered Scrumpy and Shay covered Distilled because I passed on Distilled, but Shay liked it because he's a former bartender and he was really intrigued and he really liked it and all that. But I thought Scrumpy was brilliant and I would have loved to have seen Scrumpy take the uh, throne. Again, no offense to Distilled, but it's, 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 a, it's no one thing, it's a combination of stuff. You got to get into the mindset though of, you know, I mean, you're asking people to part with all, I mean, as was mentioned earlier, was it by Bennett or Ben? Um, you're asking people to give up a lot of money and not see anything for maybe years. And so you've got to put your best foot forward. And I would say Scrumpy and didn't necessarily. And while I love the title of Scrumpy, I think that does them a disservice. Uh, on the R&R show, Roel and I were talking about R.I.L., which is one of the best polyomino Tetris-style board games on the market. We both agree. And yet, it never really seemed to get the same attention. And we ultimately came to the conclusion, thanks to uh, observation from the audience. Nobody knows how to spell it. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. It's like the anti-word-of-mouth game. And, um, you know, I think maybe the name Scrumpy suffers from that as well. Um, I've I've said it so many times, the worst lost all meaning. So that would be my guess. Doing a post-mortem on the two of them, that would be my first guess, is that Distill, uh, they paid more. They probably paid more for professional graphic designers. They made more investment. for. I don't know this for a fact, but that's kind of what it looks like. And... You know on a Kickstarter page, looks are everything because people can't actually play the game. Um, there maybe there's other stuff too. Maybe Distill let you play on Tabletopia and Scrumpy didn't. That's an important thing. No better way to give your potential audience a sense of confidence if you're letting them play the game, warts and all. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm not gonna dig much further into that, but stuff like that, I think. Anyway, uh, uh but uh, Vinit has some thoughts. Oh, sorry, Vinit. Uh, yeah, um. Euro gamers like little or no luck. Based on a cursory viewing of the online content creators, or perhaps they uh, have some stuff, as uh, same interest for their stuff, uh, look at more cards, stress goals, woohoo. Anyway, love to hear your thoughts. That's interesting. One thing is, of the two games, Scrumpy is, I think, Scrumpy is the lighter game, and yet at the same time, it is less random. Uh, Distilled has a huge element of, hey, I've done everything, and now I just got to hope the stuff distills well, which is very thematic. I mean, that's the thing. I think... Distilled tells a story that the audience can immediately grasp and understand. Scrumpy is a little bit more abstract. And then on top of that, it has a word that nobody knows what it means. And then on top of that, its overall presentation was a little bit more low rent with their silly, oh, look, we're just going to stand in front of a green screen and, and make fun of ourselves videos. Pre- present yourself as pre- present yourself as a professional um, and you're gonna do better. I think that's probably what did it there. but you know of course it's gonna be a different story for every time you want to compare why did this succeed and this one did less so. But anyway moving on Nat wonders what game would I most like to see as a legacy game and also out of the Oniverse games which one has my favorite expansion um I would I, I'm just gonna say Agricola it's literally the first thing that pops in my head. I would love to see a version of Agricola that... um, It doesn't have to be Legacy. Uh, I would love to just see a campaign version of Agricola. I would love to see the storytelling that Alexander Pfister brings to all of his big box games. I would love to see that paired with Agricola, one of my favorite games of all time. It would work so brilliantly. The notion that after a game of Agricola, okay, that family's story is done. The next time we play, we are going to tell the, uh, the next generation, but we're going to start in a specific situation based on how we ended the previous game. And there are going to be events and all kinds of stuff, Oh my god, that would be so amazing. Look out, games! Come on! Hire Alexander Pfister and make this game! In time for... when, when did Agricola come out? Um, you know, Whatever uh, anniversary for Agricola is coming up, bring us the Agricola Legacy um, version, or expansion, or whatever. That's, that's going to be my answer for there. And um, for Oniverse, the favorite expansion... well, it's going to have to be... honestly... I'd have to go and play them all right now, or at least watch my own videos, because I can't remember them all. But, of course, the main thing you remember about the Oniverse games are those really cool little um, pieces that represent, like, the fire in um, in uh, Sylveon and all that stuff. I think my favorite is probably the evil kite in Arion. Of course, Arion is my favorite Oniverse games. But, I mean, going up against an evil kite um, is just so cool. And it was such a cute little thing. It was like a, a flying kite, you know, with, like, the the four star configuration like a kite like I would fly when I was a little kid and but with like a mean frowny face and it as I recall it moves around and blocks space and you're like get out of the way kite uh, that would be very cool I, I, I'm gonna go with the uh, with the, the evil kite or the demon kite or whatever it was called from Arion okay um, Daniel says that I said brass is objectively the best Martin Wallace game. Do I feel the games can be objectively good or bad, or better or worse than other games? Or do I think that nothing is objective unless it can be measured? Well, first of all, I very much doubt I said that it is objectively. I probably couched that statement, because I know that's kind of a bogus statement, because we're talking about subjective stuff. So I probably said, you know what, Um, if there was such a thing, uh, Brass could objectively be called his greatest design. Or I would even go so far as to say it is objectively his best. I probably said something like that to soften the statement and caveat the heck out of it, because no... Arguably, there is no such thing as demonstrably superior design. You cannot say that Go, because of its insane depth and yet incredible elegance, is better than Gloomhaven, be, with its bloated, over-the-top complexity and bombacity. Um, now, because you know, if you wanted... I mean, I guess maybe people could make an argument that there are some truisms. In the art of design... And I'm thinking about this because... Gosh, last year sometime, we watched some documentary on Netflix, which was about the art of design, and it basically dealt with designers from all around the world, architects and, and various and sundry things. And it was them talking about their process, and Jen really loved it. And, uh, and there was this constant thing of, is it objectively superior to do less, to do more with less, to enhance that elegance, to be able to, um, with just a few simple things, look at what I have created. If you want to say, that that is an objectively superior design goal, then yes, I'd probably give it to Brass because Brass is so incredibly deep with such a small rule set. You could also do the same thing for Railways of the World, um, you know, and it, it certainly stands out from his other games that are a little bit more complex and maybe not as deep. But I don't think you can in good conscience say that it is objectively superior to enhance the elegance of a game. I think there are some who would argue that from a design perspective, that all design should always strive to do the most with the least. Because I do know that is a movement. Um, you know, that's Flankroyd Wright's architecture is, you know, clean, simple spare lines. But some people like crazy, over-the-top, organic, baroque stuff. And... It's ultimately a subjective opinion. So, I guarantee... I don't remember when I said this, but when I said it, I couched it, and I was exaggerating, um, because I do tend to do that a little bit. So no, strictly speaking, I don't think there is such a thing as objectivity in game design. Um, There is only subjectivity in what we all value, unless you do want to take it on faith that elegance is the ultimate pinnacle of objectively good design. And if so then Go is the, uh, the, the greatest game of all time, as an example. Or maybe Moncala. Maybe. Um, but no, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I was being hyperbolic. You caught me, Daniel. And then continuing. For Euro games, do I prefer when a Euro game ends after a fixed number of rounds, or when something triggers the end? Uh, we actually had this co- uh, question, I think, on the last episode of this, episode 4. And I could take it either way, but both Jen and I agree. All things being equal, we prefer a fixed set of time. Jen actively prefers it she kind of almost to a little a certain extent hates an uncertain time frame for the game because I do tend to play the meta game more than her and if I feel like I'm doing bad and I need to end the game I can that can be frustrating for her so she would always rather have a, uh, a fixed set and I want her to be happy so I'll have that too <laughs> um, anyway Nick, Hello, Nick. Nick is a new patron member and loves the content because he mainly plays games with his wife. Thank you for supporting the show, Nick. Uh, I was going back and watching some previous Top 10s and came across Tybor the Builder. Nick purchased it, loves it, Loves the tough decisions that come from the multi-use cards. And wonders, have I ever considered doing a top 10 list of multi-use cards? Uh, Going through BGG, there's not a mechanism for multi-use cards, but there is a family. The family, however, has lots of games missing from the list, like Tybor. I'd love to see a top 10 list. You know what? I would too. I've definitely considered this before, and you just hit the the nail on the head why I'm not doing it. It would be so much work, because no one has taken the time to truly... Now, maybe somebody's made a geek list of it that is better than the, uh, the the family, but I would want to do it right. And it would take me so much time to research, because it's it's a shortcoming. Board Game Geek... I mean, when I did my top 10 engine building games, that was a really hard one, because there was no concept of engine building. Uh, at least not one that I could reliably rely on to make sure I was getting all the potential candidates. That's why I have not done a multi-use cards, even though it is literally one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. Maybe I should revisit this at some point. Maybe I just shouldn't be quite so precious. Who cares if I miss a couple? I care. I try to be really thorough. And it's just, I've been a bit hesitant to devote that much time, even though it's one of my favorites. And I really should do it at some point. Um, But anyway, thanks for asking. All right. Joseph. Joseph says, off the top of my head... Uh, what would I say are my favorite language-independent games? Games that don't use text or use iconography. Uh, Joseph asks because his partner speaks English as a second language, and though they're highly proficient, they struggle with games that have copious amounts of text. Or oh, would well, this could be a good top ten? That would be a good top ten. But honestly, now this is one I don't think you need to know, because uh, I will tell you how you can get this information yourself, uh, Joe. Uh, let's see. Let's bring Chrome back up for a second. Sorry for folks who are listening. I will describe visually what I am doing. Bringing Chrome back and uh, go back to Board Game Geek. Beepity bopity boop. And um, right, Oh, no, I, I need to go. I need to go to Ranked.Rado.com and you will get a list of all my games. I can just look at this list. And I've, my my number one game is Pandemic. Pandemic is not language independent. Shadowrun Crossfire. Is not. It's got a lot of text. Gloomhaven has a lot of text. Agricola has a lot of text. Twa. I'd have to double-check, but I am pretty sure Twa is language-independent. And now I could just click on it and open a new window and confirm because BoardGameGeek will tell you. Where is it? I know where it used to be. Where is it now? Is it under more? Uh, Ba-ba-ba-ba. Alright, it used to be really easy spot. Language... Oh yeah, there it is. Like, no in get Right, so, you just scroll down a little bit, and it'll tell you. Yep, no to it. Yo, So, Trois is my number one greatest language-independent game. Let's keep going. Castle de Burgundy is my number two. Castle de Burgundy uh, is language-independent. Nations is not. Peloponnese is. Peloponnese is my number three greatest language-independent game. Keyflower is my number four. Uh, Trajan is my number five. Escape Curse of the Temple is my number six. I don't remember if Dungeon Pets is. I don't, I think Dungeon Pets does have a fair bit of text. Let's look. Uh no, Dungeon Pets is my number seven. Language independent. Alrighty. Um Project Elite definitely has some. Black Angel is my number uh, 8, although it's kind of tied with toi. So uh, Forbidden Desert has text. Shipyard. I don't remember if Shipyard does. I haven't played it for many years, although it's amazing. It has no... So Shipyard is... Are we at my number 9? Shipyard is my number 9. And Elysium, I think, is very text-heavy, unfortunately. Elysium is language-dependent, so it's not Elysium. Is it Santa Maria? I think it's Santa Maria. No, I think Santa Maria has text too, doesn't it? Yes, it does, so it's not Santa Maria... Uh, The Networks, I know, has text. Aeon's End has text. Hollertau, baby. No, Hollertau definitely is text-heavy. Spake Halls, Tiny Towns. Tiny Towns is my number 10. You... There you go. Top 10 completed! And you see, um, previous asker, why I, um, you know, it's easy for me to do top 10s for the most part. That's what it takes. But to do a, um, And in theory, I mean, but I'd have to think a lot more. Well, is this really multi-use cards? Going back to the previous question a little bit. And I'm just, I mean... I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that was a bit... I mean, I, If I were doing that top 10, that would be the beginning. But I'd keep on making the list, and then I would say, okay, now let me go look through all the games I got rid of, if there's any I should mention here. Or are there games I haven't played yet that are language independent? I would still do some more research. But there's a preliminary top 10 best for you. And Joseph, you just saw how to do it, or you heard how to do it, rank.row.com. You can make it a top 20 or a top 30 if you like. Alrighty. Do I still play Shadowrun Crossfire? If not, is because of lack of interest or lack of time lack of time. I don't play anything that is not in preparation to film it. What would I like to see in future expansions of Shadowrun Crossfire? I would just like to see future expansions, please, because that means I would have an excuse to play it some more. (sighs) Honestly, Shadowrun Crossfire does not need expansions. I'm really happy I have the high octane one, but Shadowrun Crossfire is so perfect, so elegant. Which, as we discussed previously, is not an objective mark of quality, but it kind of is for me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I would happily play... I mean, I've played Shadow on Crossfire probably somewhere between 50 and 100 times. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. That game just constantly keeps giving. And all I... I mean, I'd like more cards. I'd like more variety. But honestly... I would look at Dragonfire, the fantasy offset. It got a lot of expansions, and it just kept adding more stuff, and it created this power creep. And I wouldn't necessarily want that to happen to Shadowrun Crossfire. And unlike Dominion, uh, which definitely needs more content to not get stale, you do eventually get so Okay, I've seen all these cards. I need new cards. I've never really felt that way about Shadowrun Crossfire. So I want an expansion solely to get to play it more so that I could cover it, but I don't need it. Um, and it is still... Was it my number two? Weren't we just looking at that a second ago? Uh, and it didn't make, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's literally my number two game of all time, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. It just seems hard to, uh, supplant just how amazing it is. Alrighty. And I should say, I'm talking about the original Shadowrun Crossfire when the Prime Runners Edition came out. I covered that, and if you watch my run through there, there are some changes you have to make to reinstitute the rules from the original to make it the best of all time. Or the second best of all time after pandemic moving on though um, Joe's number three question or Joseph's number three question how would I suggest bringing people into the hobby most of Joseph's friends are not into board gaming and I'd love to introduce some great games to them I also feel a bit awkward and shy doing so well Jenna we've talked about this one quite a bit in the past and it basically well first of all don't be shy don't be ashamed of what you enjoy doing I mean I, I, I I, 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 I kind of balk at the phrase guilty pleasure. Why be guilty? Why, why feel guilt about something that brings you joy and happiness? Life is too short to um, feel embarrassed about what... you know. So don't worry about that. So if you want to try to get somebody... First of all, don't be sheepish. Be bold. Say, look, you're my friend. I love hanging out with you. I love doing things with you. What else do I love? I love playing board games. Now, I know you think it's silly. You think it's for kids. But hey, how about we just play one? Um, It's just going to be an afternoon. uh, And if nothing else, you can see... I mean, you're my friend, right? You want to share things that I love, right? I love watching movies with you. We love talking about TV shows together. Just give it a try. Just give it a try. And then figure out the best possible game for them. The best possible gateway that ticks whatever box you need to tick based on your knowledge of them as a person. That's, that's, That's how I would do it. Alrighty, And Joseph is done. Just wanted to say thank you, and thanks for wearing the t-shirts. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, wearing these t-shirts does... It, oh, it hurts my bottom line so much, uh, which is actually coming later in the... we'll, we'll still talk about that later. But anyway, yeah, th- thank you, Joseph. Arno. Hello, Arno. Arno noticed that uh, in my rundown of Doodle Dungeon uh, that it confused the heck out of him. How... Could I design multi-level video games from scratch and yet ho- find it hard to create a 2D dungeon in the game Doodle Dungeon? Do I think Jen, as because she was able to um, you know, gravitate to it really easily, would Jen be a better level designer than me? Honestly, you, you'd put a smiley on there, but yes. Um, in my almost 20 years of being a video game designer... Level design was not my strong suit at all. I always, in my early days, before the industry was big enough to actually have a dedicated field called level design, when I had to do it myself, I leaned so heavily on the artist I was working with, and I was so much more happy to say, look, here's kind of what I'm thinking about. Here's kind of some of the big moments I'd like. Run with it! And the artist would go and make something, and then I'd say, oh, this is a really wonderful blank canvas you've given me. Now I will populate it and turn it into fun gameplay. Because, yeah, uh, level design is not my strong suit. And I definitely do think Jen, as a uh, long-time graphic designer, could probably do a much better job than me, to answer your question. Um... And I think it was joking, but no, it, 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 her brain is wired for the... She has a better creative mind than I do. Uh, my, as a, le, as a game designer, when I did it for 20 years, I was never the big idea guy. I always relied on other people or the publisher to come up with a lot of that stuff. I was a logistics guy. My creative outlet was creatively solving problems, getting disparate things to work together. That's what I, that's what I enjoyed, and that's where my strengths were. Alrighty. Um, not so long ago, uh, Arno notes that I created a, ru- a ru- uh, rules of conduct for my channel so that I can screen comments before putting it online. After that, I'm doing more live shows. How will I apply these rules? That's an excellent question. Um, I have asked uh, you know, on on all these platforms. I can create, oh, what do you call it? Um, or admins or uh, mo- moderators. And so on YouTube and. Twitch, I have asked, hey, folks, could you moderate these streams so if they see something bad, they get rid of it? You will also notice that I am not putting the live text stream on screen. Ruel and I are not doing that because mods can't quite catch everything. So, uh, you know, and once it's on screen, it won't go away. So it is something I treat seriously. I do have folks that, um, you know, are are trying to catch it. But the interesting thing is, here's an amazing thing, Arno. Um, Ever since I made that public declaration the trolls have largely disappeared. And, I mean, it's not like... Uh, probably the vast majority of them never even saw my code of conduct. And, and yet, somehow, through Ozma, Or maybe they have. Maybe word traveled fast that, oh, uh, Rado's channel does not brook this. And they just, okay, well, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to go elsewhere because what what a troll wants more than anything else is attention. And when they realize they are starved for it and they won't get it, they just okay, let's go try and find a channel that isn't heavily moderating and approving every single so we can go harass them. I mean, I it's, it's it was amazing to me the huge fall off. And I and I've said this before, anybody who runs a YouTube channel definitely consider ticking the box that says comments don't appear unless you approve them. It has made running my channel so much better. Um, it you know, it's it's kept the comments clean. It's scared away the trolls. It's um, it also means I am always the first person to reply to anything that I let through, so that I can kind of if I need to, if it is a touchy subject, I can kind of sculpt the direction, and I and things don't go off the rails anymore. Um, and also, it means I never miss a comment ever because if somebody. If, if, if you don't turn this system on, if somebody comments on a post from four years ago and says something terrible, the, the notification system that we as YouTube creators have doesn't tell you at all. Uh, or it does, but you have to literally, oh, I got to go look three years in the past and see if a new comment. So it effectively doesn't tell you. But now I will get a notice of that and I can say, oh, you're a terrible person. Yeah. No one's ever going to get to hear what you just said. And um, boom, you're gone. Or oh, that's a good comment. Okay, boom. Welcome to the party. Hope you enjoy your time at in my comment field. So it's really interesting. It's such a night and day difference. I mean, trolls do still come along, um, but at a significantly reduced volume. And like I said, to answer your question, I have people monitoring. But I will not put I, when I started doing live stuff again. I was putting the text on screen, and then somebody pointed out, hey, you know what? If a Nazi shows up that will be on the screen forever. You can't get rid of it in time. And so, I say, oh, that's why I shouldn't put that text on screen anymore. So that's kind of where we're at with that. Good question. Hey, Gerald. Gerald says, with games that are not considered short... Which do I think suffer from luck of acquiring... Oh, Gerald's got a list for me. All right, which of the following games that are not short games do I think suffer from, quote, the luck of acquiring cards or the luck of revealing cards, like event cards that favor one player over another? Uh, Also, which don't? And why do I think that is? All right. Oh, Gerald.
1: Oh, Gerald.
0: You're putting me through the ringer. All righty. Energy Empire... I don't. I I think Energy Empire does not suffer. I mean, the main thing it has, it has every time you play, there is a series of events. But those events, um, you know, one, they give you means in game to see them early so you can plan for them, and uh, two, the you know the lion share effects are not just immediate. Oh, boom! You got destroyed, but they're long term impact. They're kind of slow incremental things, or they're things that really affect the end of the game and stuff like that. So I, I think Energy Empire does them brilliantly. One of the best examples of uh, event-driven gameplay in Europe. Anno 1800. No, I don't think it suffers. Because the my biggest problem with this kind of luck of the draw stuff is stuff that comes up that clearly favors one player over another. And one way to address that is don't let that happen. Either don't do this stuff or come up with things that truly work for everyone. Like anybody could uh, could afford, would love to have five more space bucks, you know, that kind of stuff. But that gets a little boring. Um, the other way to do it is if there are, in fact, some lucky swings, embrace it, make it part of the game. Um, and Anno 1800, such a huge part of that game is interaction and trade between players, um, even in a two player game, even in a solo game, that that goes a long way towards mitigating the swingy effects because players can. Self-correct. It's kind of like how you know uh, some older auction games. You know their designers would say, "Ah, oh, auction game design is lazy because you're just making players value everything." And I don't know if that's really fair, but um, you know there is kind of a, a hint of that. So I'm going to say a- Anno800 does well. Preta Porter. Porter. You get, you know, 50 million years in the future what the targets are going to be for the upcoming events. So, that's again the way to do it. Uh, Dungeon Pets is a great example of this, too. Hey, we are all competing for the next big point scoring opportunity, and we all have multiple turns. The game never says, Oh, it's, the game at the beginning of the round, hey, let's reveal this card that you have to deal with three rounds from now. Perfect. That's the way you do event cards. So Preda Porter, um, Viticulture definitely suffers. Viticulture is maybe one of the poster children. Because man, Jamie Stegmeyer, I love him as a designer, but oh, he loves swingy stuff. He just loves saying, boom, let me just drop that. And oh my God, this is the holy grail of cards. And this is a piece of garbage I cannot use because it was bad timing. Viticulture was so swingy. It was one of the reasons that we didn't ultimately, I mean, we loved it. But we were looking for games to get rid of. it's like, well, okay, there is a swinginess here. I guess we can get rid of that one then. So Viticulture definitely suffers from those... I forget what they're called, but they're the ones that... um, Aren't they like day or night? Oh, it's been so many years since I played. But Viticulture, I've never been a problem. Through the Ages, I couldn't comment. I'm going to say probably not. I haven't played Through the Ages enough to say. But as I recall, expert level of Through the Ages, a big part of the game is you know every single card in that deck. You know for a fact. You don't know when... Cleopatra is going to come out, but you know she is going to come out. And so, at expert high-level play, um, since such a big part of the game is perfect knowledge of all the potential outcomes, you have the knowledge, so that will offset the unfair eventedness of it. For an early player, it's probably pretty swingy and probably not very great. But I'm not going to say that definitively, because I've, I've only played the game a couple times, then I filmed it. I never played it again. So I'm, I'm not sure. Fam. Fam, fam, fam. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Right. Oh, that is the the... The Crocodile Game from uh, Freedom and Freeze, right? So that game has the power grid style. There's a constant influx of cards. <sighs> Maybe Fame suffers a little bit, but Jen and I, we played it and I didn't feel that way. The beautiful thing about Fame is there's an influx of cards, and some of them come in and they're very expensive, and they really have to spend a lot. Some of them, depending on this like a number priority scheme, which is very much the power grid. Hey, all. The, sometimes a, uh, a what do you call it? Uh, power plant will just show up, and it's a low initiative one, and it'll just jump right to the end of the queue, or the beginning of the queue. And um, and that's a brilliant system. And maybe it is a little more luck-swingy than it should be, but it's so brilliant, I love it anyway, I'll forgive it. Feast for Odin, I felt, suffered from this hugely. With their... Um, what were they? The, the weapons cards, the harpoon, and the... Uh, I forget what the other two things were. But that was so incredibly swingy. Um, and I talked about this quite a bit... I talked about it a bit in my Feast for Odin video, but then I talked about it even more in the Norwegian expansion, where they fixed it, and I thought they fixed it in the most brilliant way possible. So Feast for Odin, I would definitely say suffers. And Dune Imperium, I couldn't say. We played it a couple times and then filmed it and then moved on. I didn't really invest too much into it because it was so take that and aggressive and in your face. I, I suspect it does have a lot of swinginess, because yeah, I mean, I remember well, I mean, the first time Jen thought she had taken a thing, I said, oh, look at this card I've got. Boom! Ruined everything! And she couldn't have known. Now, I mean, there is the element, if you're going to teach a game like this, is it the fault of the game, or is it the fault of the players? The players should know that if they extend themselves too wide, that there are cards that can do this. First few times you play, you don't know. If you're ever teaching a game like this and you see somebody setting themselves up for where you could just instantly destroy them because you know about a card that may or may not be coming, please warn them Please don't just... I mean, all you're doing is chasing somebody away who'll never want to play a game again because they think it's all a bunch of random stuff. Just because, you know, getting back to the through the ages thing where true high-level play requires knowing that, hey, someday, the nuclear Armageddon card... There isn't one, but you know what I mean. is going to come up, and you have to have always... You know, Twilight Struggle is famous for this. There are certain cards you have to tell people when you're teaching. By the way, you have to know this card exists and this card exists, and it may or may not come up. It may or may not hit you, but it's something you should bear in mind while you're strategizing. You have to let people know this. Um, anyway, so those are off the top of my head, Gerald, with your tough list. Okay. Hey, Dylan. Dylan uh, knows that I mentioned how Gloomhaven has taken some questionable directions in the campaign. Could I do a spoiler overview on the campaign that Jen and I experienced? Love to hear our full, unfiltered thoughts, as um, J- Dylan has tried to complete the campaign, but did not make it Yeah, It's true. We did actually finish. And honestly, are you sure I mentioned this? Could you tell me when or where? Because i got to go back. I don't remember there being any issues along those lines. I genuinely thought the storyline was done really well. I mean, I know some people were upset by, you know, spoiler for like one of the first five missions of the game. It's an optional side mission that you could go on and you're supposed to go back and steal something from a a bunch of rampaging brutes who have stolen a thing. And then when you get there, you find out, oh my God, we've been set to slaughter innocent people. And you and you and you're like, oh, but this is the mission, and you and you kind of get put in a position where well, we gotta finish the mission now, and um, you know, and some people were very upset and off-put by that. I thought it was brilliant because it put you in a high stakes emotional thing, and it made you um, more you know directly tied. I understand why uh, you know, and sure, if, if players, um, you know, play, I, I totally understand why that would be upsetting for some people. You know, the I thought of oh my god, I was unknowingly put in a situation where I was going to kill children. And the game certainly gave you no warning of that. And it probably should have, in the same way that a movie where children are slaughtered will definitely warn you. Warning. Scenes of really horrible stuff. And probably Gloomhaven needed that. I don't think they, it was necessarily bad that they were willing to do something like that, but there should have been warning because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Same thing happens for Legacy of Dragonhold, which is, for the most part, a very wonderful, inclusive, fun adventure romp. But depending on choices you make, it can become one of the most dark, depressing, dreary um, endings I've ever seen in a game or in any form of media ever. And there's no warning of it. I did a whole video warning, folks, just in case you're going to play it with your kids. It could literally be emotionally scarring unless you try to steer the story in a certain direction. So, I don't know, maybe there's that? I've definitely had a problem with... Uh, it wasn't having to do with the campaign. I had a problem with the... Oh, the rock monster. I can't remember what they're called now. Savas? Cavas. Um, that I really didn't like the way that um, the rule saying, oh, when you make uh, landslides and you create um, earthquakes that put a lot of rubble, you're not allowed to cut off travel space for the monsters. That was totally the wrong way to do it. I really, I hated that so much I stopped playing or that um, character type, even though I thought it was brilliant. But no, you'd you'd have to, I'm sorry, Dylan, I don't remember. You'd have to tell me um, what I said so that I could go back and refresh myself. Okay, Andrus. Wonders, why bad? Why bad expansions? That um, oh 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 okay yes. Wonders, why a bad expansion that one does not have to play would lower my rating? of a game on BoardGameGeek. Uh, he mentions this because I have now lowered Marvel Champions rating because I didn't like... The latest... Actually, I thought there was a lot of really great stuff. Um, it, it's not as simple as the latest expansion. I'll come back to that, though. Continue with Andrus. Similar thing happened with Tom and the Time Stories. Time Stories rating went from a 10 to something very low for Tom. This is it the curse of a game of stories because um, Andrus is not... Remember that Tom lowered his opinion about *Race for the Galaxy* after he disliked the Orb expansion. Should expansions impact ratings, or should they be separate entities? Uh, because you can, st- one can still replay *Marvel Champions* base content and be um, ecstatic about the things that they liked uh, a few years ago, or. Um, is the problem. The number of expansions. Among many expansions, there's a higher chance for a stinker. Uh, maybe Final Fan- or, you know, Fantasy Flight Games should put difficulty ratings on Marvel Champion expansions similar to the Exit Games. Um, will you ignore harder expansions in that case? Well, first of all, they should totally do that. It's absolutely insane that they do not do that. It's almost criminal that they don't do that, quite frankly. Um, and hopefully they will start doing it soon. But okay, to so back to your question. I'm not going to speak for Tom. I'm not going to speak for anybody but me. I know... Uh, um, what? Okay, well, actually, no. let's use your example. Um, Race for the Galaxy. Tom loves it. I'm going to speak for Tom now. Um, Orb expansion. Tom hates it. Race for the Galaxy's proposition to you as a game is, this is an entire game. It's in this box. You never have to buy anything for this game. It will um, you know, continue giving you wonderful, fun times for years to come. Um, And that's really the value proposition that most board games offer to players. These are standalone experiences. Uh, These can become family heirlooms that you hand down to your grandkids, and that you will still find yourself enjoying them years from now. That's pretty standard. There are games, though, that do offer a different value proposition. And um, Time Stories and Marvel Champions are both. Literally... Marvel Champions is called a living card game. It's woven into the design of these games that the value proposition is, you're going to like this as an appetizer. And we are going to, over time, continue to serve you more and more and more of it. And you're going to be excited about that. That's what you sign up for when you buy a game like this, or Arkham Horror the card game, or um, Time Stories. and um, So, it has to do with kind of almost the contract, the unwritten contract that you as a player sign, that is signed between you and the publisher. The publisher promises, hey, if you're buying this living game that's supposed to evolve and grow and keep giving you new stuff to consume, and you go in knowing that's what it's for, then I believe it's appropriate to judge a game based on that. Race for the Galaxy never offered that. The problem is, um, uh, you know, Marvel Champions comes with a lot of really great content in the base box. You will ultimately consume that. Um, Marvel Champions by design has a shelf date. You could play it, I don't know, 20 times, 50 times, 100 times. It really depends on you. But any player is eventually getting to the point where, yeah, I'm just not seeing enough combinatorial variety. Uh, This game is based on the variety it provides. And sooner or later, I'm going to have to get expansions. And that's why. Um, Marvel Champions, I rate it based on... I base I rated my Marvel Champions based on the entirety of the offer. Um, now, I do this for all expansions. I'm not sure that... To, I, do, I doubt Tom does. I do every ranking. Uh, after I play the expansion, if it significantly increases my my view of the game, I will bump the game up. And I do this because I don't rank expansions. I just leave those blank, and I say, oh, well, now that i played this with the expansion, oh my gosh, this bumps the game up several times. So I couldn't, in in good faith, do that, but not do the same thing if, in a very rare case, an expansion drags it down, which is what Marvel Champions did. And now, I do want to correct you. I did not think um, that uh, the Marvel expansion was bad, Let's see. What did you say? I said about it Uh, because I didn't like the expansion. I thought you said something about how it was actively bad or a stinker. You know, um, what's it called? Rise of the Red Skull? Was it? No, no, that's the first one. Um, uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy expansion is not a stinker. It is full of brilliant ideas. I call them out because hey, do everything you want to do, but it's this kind of stuff you talked about. Freaking label this. If you are going to do a 10x increase on the difficulty level of the game, label it such. Let us know. Um, you know, I mean, it's, 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 I'm marking it down. And here's the important thing, and I stressed this very heavily when I did the video. Put difficulty modifiers in. Marvel Champions has bent over backwards to make the game more and more and more difficult. They have only done a, a very weak job at trying to put in valid ways to reduce the difficulty any good cooperative game needs to do this. And they don't do that. And and, and that's another reason I bring it down. And this is something that's applicable to the base game. If you really struggle with just um, fighting Ultron in the base box, the game does not give you a truly meaningful way to um, reduce the difficulty, even though they do give you meaningful ways to increase the difficulty. So it's just that... um, you know. And so that was a problem baked into the game from the beginning. It's just that they did not, um, it didn't come to the fore um, until the Guardians of the Galaxy came out. So, anyway, that's how I approach it. And I'm assuming that's probably how Tom approaches it too. Because a game that is living, that is designed, it's part of the design to consume it and then look for more, then what comes after should affect the rating. Um, all right. Hey, Matilda. <clears throat> Matilda hardly ever watched my videos, but mostly listens to the podcast. Cooking, DIY, walking the dog, driving. Uh, a few weeks ago, Matilda noticed that while driving, uh, for my roundups, because I I mean, I don't just do the podcast. I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, you know this. For people who are watching this on YouTube, if you subscribe to my podcast on Apple, iTunes, wherever, I do audio versions of a lot of my stuff. Of the roundups, of the top tens, of the R&R show, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so Matilda, um, noticed in the roundups, There are chapters which give the name of the game I'm talking about at that very moment. Um, Yes. I do that because of a new system that YouTube implemented that actually makes these cool little chapter things appear. And I thought, oh, let's start doing that. And hey, now that I've got the info, let's go ahead and put it on the podcast as well. You find it very useful, Matilda, particularly while driving. And you wondered, how much extra work is it to put that feature in? Um, And uh, if I've ever... Uh, consider doing the same for the talk-through episodes with some keywords. Well, I do it a little bit. I do put in links that you can jump directly to the games and then to the personal, because <laughs> I, I mean, because I know some people don't. Oh, I just want to hear the personal stuff or um, or what have you. I sh- you're right. I should do it for literally every single question. The reason I don't, it gets to your question. It's a lot of work to do. It like quadruples the amount of work I have to do to put one of these up. And while I've always felt like I should. Uh, Because I do take the time to actually make a list of what all all the questions are so people know what's coming. I should do the extra work of saying, oh, and by the way, here's the timestamps for all of them so you can just skip this boring question and get to this one that sounds really interesting. I should, and I just don't because it's already so much work to put these together. Plus, if something happens and I have to re-upload the, which has happened, then if I have to re-upload, then I have to go and do all the work again and retroactively ap- apply completely new timestamps. So I appreciate it would be great. I should every single one of my questions should have a time so you can just jump to them. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just a one man show. If I had somebody helping me, I would definitely, I would definitely take them. If somebody else found all those timestamps and sent them to me, I would instantly put them in the show notes. But that's kind of why it doesn't happen. And it is happening for the YouTube stuff that comes over, like the roundups, because I am doing it there because of this, basically, because of this new YouTube feature. Uh, um, I mean, mean, obviously, the YouTube video would benefit from having those timestamps in as well. I don't know. It's just there's so much. I mean, this is going to be a two- or three-hour-long thing, and I have to go through after the fact and find the beginning of every single one, and I have to transcribe them, and I will make mistakes, and then I have to check them, and I have to fix them. Uh, I'm sorry. That's why I don't do it. I mean, I really should, Matilda. I appreciate it. it would make the broadcast better for you, and I'm sorry that I don't. All right. Next up. Have I ever heard anything about the soon-to-be-launched game on Kickstarter, Artifacts? And you included a link. Yes. Uh, Artifacts contacted me, and I passed on covering it. And I don't remember if Shay did... Um, anyway, if so, is it the type of game that I might be interested in? No. Um, just like you, just like me, Matilda, hardly is ever interested in games that have a fighting phase, but the preparation-tuning phase of Steampunk Robots might change the deal for Matilda. What about me? Honestly, Matilda, I get so many requests for to cover. I mean, I get requests for probably two-thirds of all the games that come up on Kickstarter, or at least all the serious ones. Um... And it's so much to read. I, whenever I'm sitting down to read these things, I am looking for any excuse to say no. And um, I, I remember looking at reading the Artifacts rulebook and thinking, "Wow, this looks really sharp. It seems very smartly considered. It looks really nice. It's a cool idea of an arena skirmish game, but with like Tetris pieces that represent your the logic of your robots. And that's all very cool. But at the end of it, it's still all about, oh, can I make a better robot to smash your robots? Or your steampunk robots. If I recall... Not, I, this was like a couple months ago I read, so I'm kind of only dimly recalling it. I could just follow your link, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And I just passed. And you're right, it could be great. It could be one of those rare, um, like, uh, Tashkalar-style uh, games where you know, it's a direct conflict game that we really enjoy. And maybe I should have paid more attention to it, but uh, there's, uh, there's just too many. And I mean, I'm always looking for a way to say no, and they gave me an easy way to say no because they made a game that wasn't about saving people or rebuilding things, or anything. But it's still all about, hey, do all this really cool gameplay mechanism stuff so you can kill each other. I'm like, uh, I, I'm just implicitly less excited, no matter how clever the mechanisms and the presentation might be. Next up, Matilda says thanks to um, us. They have enjoyed the first game of Meadow. That's fantastic. They love it. The gameplay is great. I agree. At first, Matilda was surprised by the fact that the designers had introduced the horizontal cards and the roads, which are tokens that you used to buy... The environment cards, I think. And didn't see the need for that. But Matilda thinks she has a slight idea of the reason for it and be curious as to hear my opinion. I don't know. Um, I would say it's because so much about that game is just instant, kind of tactical. Grab this thing, put it in, score it. That they felt the game would be improved, and it definitely is, by having something that is more strategic, that takes you a while to build up, and then you have to compromise. Are you going to use these things to do this? And so it's a, just a, a question of flow, trying to, to match the tactical card drafting with bringing in a more tactical or strategic long term element, uh, because that's very satisfying to pull off. That would be my assumption as to why they did that. Um, I'm curious to know what your thought is. Matilda then goes on It's great that I make my audience uh, rediscover or discover or rediscover other content creators. It makes Matilda want to explore what they are doing on their channels. That's fantastic. Talking about all the top tens, I do. Um, but. Could I please ask them to make their work available on audio podcasts? They're less popular, uh, not always adequate, uh, depending on the nature of the content. Um, Maybe brings in, I mean, honestly, if you you regularly listen to the podcast, you'll notice there's been a couple of ads that have come up because um, one of the reasons I switched to Anchor is because, hey, it has this system where, oh, um, if you're a successful podcast, and I am, I'm a crazy successful podcast, I'm like in the top 10 uh, in the world. If you just go based off widely available stats, as, oh, if you have this many regular downloads, you're in the top 20. If you have this many regular downloads, you're in the top one. I'm in the top 10% of podcasts because it's very, very successful. Thanks to all of you folks. Um, and yet, for some reason, the only ads Anchor has given me are ads for Anchor. And so I've run them twice, and they actually did pretty well. And I keep waiting for, hey, I, if if you want me to talk about me undies, I will talk about me undies. Provided you send me a sample and I could try them out, um, but so far they just haven't uh, done any ads. Uh, but still, I stick with Anchor because it makes it so easy and it's totally free. Anyway, though, back to your question. Uh, you, you can tell my you know my fellow content creators uh, the experience of the uh, bringing the audio the audience of the audio podcast brings quality if not quantity. Honestly, there is no reason anybody who does any kind of talk showy type elements where it is, where you can just get away with listening. Like a top 10 list. Everybody should be putting that stuff. Anchor.fm. This is not an advertisement. I'm not getting paid right now, but it makes it so freaking easy. You just, you're finished with the video, strip the audio out of it, upload it to Anchor, type in your stuff, press go. It's totally free. There's never a charge. It will propagate to Apple, iTunes. It'll propagate anywhere. It's as close to a free ride as you can get. And it's insane to me that everybody doesn't do that so that they can enhance their audience so that people who are out walking their dog or doing the dishes or whatever can still enjoy their content. Any content creator listening, if you do anything that does not absolutely require the video component, if you do lists, if you talk about topics... Put that stuff... You're, you're just throwing away a potential audience increaser. I completely agree, Matilda. It's so freaking easy. All righty. And free. Uh, next up. Matilda mentions... Or notes that I've mentioned before... How few dog-themed games there are in the market... Uh, she did mention something Kickstarter called Dog Park, she thinks. Yeah, I seem to recall that one. As both a dog lover and a theme and game lover, if I were to design a game on the theme of dogs, particularly dog behavior and the way their clever brains work, what game mechanisms would I choose? Honestly, I would want it... I would... Uh, my, what pops into my head is the, um, the Dungeon Pets mechanism they have Of uh, There's an element of card drafting. There's a bit of hand management. Because every round in Dungeon Pets, you might have one or two or three of these little pets you have to keep track of. And they are unpredictable in the needs they have. I would so love to see a thing like that applied to dogs. I mean, I love the Dungeon Pets. But I could imagine a game about, you know, you being a... um, uh, You know, running a dog training academy. You know? And um, you know, and all kinds of dogs comes in, and they have different, and it's, and and you make money if you can train these dogs, and or you and you know, and there's really tough ones that need rehabilitation. It's not just the dogs; it's also the owners. You have to you have the needs of them you have to meet as well, because you have to retrain them because dog behavior. It's not the dog's fault; it's always the owner's fault nine times out of ten. Um, and uh, I think that would be really, really cool. I think I would really enjoy that game quite a bit. And, you know, and again, using that Dungeon Pets trick that makes them semi-predictable, but they can still surprise you. And every round, you've got to meet their needs to be able to move forward. And not just the dogs, but the owners. I just made this up on the spot. I love it. Anybody can have that idea if they want. All righty. Um, last up, Matilda has heard a lot of good things about the Undaunted series of games that feels pushed away by the sight of a uniform. Because this is a military game, I believe. Yes. Seems that I haven't covered it. Um, or, or is Matilda wrong? If it was rethemed to get rid of the reality of war, do you think you'd be tempted? Then I've heard that it's an amazing game. Sooner or later, Shay is going to cover it on my channel. It's been in the queue for quite a while. The majority of what Shay does on the channel is paid Kickstarter previews because Shay does not work on my channel for free. Everybody who appears on my channel gets paid well. Or, 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 or actually, the the top ten guests, they're they're just I guess they're getting exposure. I don't pay them. Um, but yeah, I mean Shay. Shay and now Ruel with the r show and Ryan, they, they are doing really well. Oh, and Paulo. I pay him really well as well also. Like many, many multitudes higher than minimum wage for the amount of work they put in. And um, so that's why the majority of what Shay does is Kickstarter previews, because I can't afford to pay him what I want to pay him to do retail games. Um, but I have started trying to get him to do... I'm paying him like to do one, sometimes two a month. And so you've been seeing more and more of those. Like last month, uh, they did Watergate. And uh, so Undaunted is on the list of things for him to do. Because I'm sure it'd be great, and I'd like to see it too. And it's a shame that it is all about... I think it's World War II, isn't it? Maybe World War I. I would love to see it rethemed. But, uh, but it will someday, someday, Matilda, show up on the channel. Okay. Nick says, I have seen several calls for an increase in board game criticism rather than just reviews and explanations says Nick. The suggestion is usually that more criticism of similar nature to literary and movie criticism would benefit the board game as a hobby, or at least increase the professionalism thereof. Do I believe this would improve the hobby, or do I believe there's already plenty of criticism created? I don't have a strong feeling about it. We're such a new baby industry. I mean, I guess you can do it. But I mean, I think that kind of stuff comes more to the fore, when you want to get into evaluating it in kind of an academic setting, you want to evaluate it as art. I mean, <sighs> games are still reinventing the wheel every year. There's still new and interesting things that are coming up. So, I mean, I don't know. Did, did, did um, the movie industry need heavy critiques when the latest blockbuster at the local Nickelodeon was people get on train? I don't think so. And I'm not saying that's where we are in the board game industry, but we're a lot closer to that than we are to the modern movie industry in terms of the evolution of this art form that we all enjoy. So, yeah, I am sure, um, you know, really high minded critiques of man gets on train versus street traffic could have existed back in the turn of the century, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary for the medium to grow and flourish. I guess that's kind of where I come from here. Now, I still respect people who do it. Very few do. I'm always talking about I'm So Very Wrong About Games, a wonderful podcast. They really do great, actual, I would say, proper critiquing. Um, But it's nice, but I I don't think it's necessary. I think that what is necessary is, is there a video that helps me decide if I want to buy this game? And honestly, I think what I do provides a much greater service to help you decide if you should put 50 or 70 or 100 or 300 bucks on the table than somebody doing a really in-depth analysis of this implementation of worker placement compared and contrasted with the norms of the of the mechanism. That's nice. That's not helping people make informed buying decisions. So Yeah, more power to people who want to do it, and I'm sure people want to see it, but that that is not what the industry needs more of now. As the games get more and more expensive because of the worldwide shipping crisis everybody's going through, people just need to be able to know with confidence, am I going to be unhappy if I spend all this money on this game? Uh, Because we're at a baby growing step. And um, the fewer wrong turns, which is why I've always said, sure, listen to my review. Listen to my personal subjective opinions. But what's much more important, watch the run through and decide for yourself. That's why it's there. Okay. Um, Let's see. Continuing. Um, I have stated I will only create Rotto Runs Through as long as my wife enjoys doing it. Kind of, but yeah. Uh, Does this mean I fully expect my wife to tire of rotto Runs Through before me? Oh, no. I will tire long before her if I do my job right. Do I have any idea of how long I would like to keep creating Rotto Runs Through on the off chance I tire before my wife does? Not the off chance, the definite chance. Um, My my wife is not tired of rotto Runs Through at all. The worry is that she would tire of playing games. She's like, yeah, I just don't feel like playing games today. Tomorrow, I just don't feel like playing games. Three weeks. We haven't played a game, honey pie. I need content. As long as I do my job right and only bring in games through the door that she turns out to really, really enjoy and we have a great time sharing together, I don't see why she would get tired of it. I mean, in the same way she doesn't get tired of reading books or watching movies, as long as, you know, it's only if she just gets, um, you know, a stinker after a stinker after a stinker after a stinker, which is why I work so hard to vet everything. So, I don't, I mean, me... I'm going to get tired, or more to the point, burned out. I mean, I am burned out like crazy already. It's so much work. I mean, I have had this job now for almost a decade. I have never had any one job this long in my life. Uh, When I was in the video game industry, I tended to jump publishers um, to work on new types of things once every four or five years. And um, so this is the longest I've ever held a job, quite frankly. And... um, And I have to slow down because I'm old and tired. I mean, I'm lucky because I am a cult of the new guy. I love new experiences. And my job allows me to keep getting those new experiences. Um, But, oh man. Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was really starting to burn out. But then I just cut back on the number of videos I did. Um, And I don't know. I have definitely had ups and downs. And I um, mean, you know, one of the reasons I'm trying to bring more people on is so that they can supplement, so that I can keep my volume up while I try to do basically self-help, you know, mental correction, so that I, I can stay on track and continue to produce. And you know, plus, I mean, I'm 52, I think. I was born in April '69. Does that make me? I think I'm 52. Ah, I can't even think anymore. I'm so tired. And we're not even halfway through this podcast yet, folks. And we're an hour and 45 minutes. Oh my goodness, or, or more. Um, but anyway. Um, so no, I'm not worried about Jen burning out. I'm worried about me burning out. How long will that be? (sighs) I don't know. It's impossible to say. If I knew, I could take steps to prevent it. We'll see. Um, you know, I mean, there's definitely some really demoralizing stuff uh, that is burning me out these days more than anything else. I'll end up talking about that a little bit in the uh, personal section, because a lot of people asked about it. But I'm still enjoying the games, and that's what's important. So we'll see. And finally, uh, did I watch Mojo's list of the best board games of the 2000s? Uh, Let's see, you gave a link, although when I copied and pasted this over, the link got lost because I must have pasted his text instead of... Anyway. What were my opinions on this video? You believe include some of Shay's commentary on games. Um, I did see that video. It's interesting. I don't think it was Shay. The original version of that video that went up had Ryan in it. They took some clips from his uh, Nights Around a Table channel. And as I I believe I talked to him, he actually um, had them take it down because they did not get his permission, and he was very upset about this. And so he did a strike, and it went through the process, and it got taken down. And they had to re-edit that video to take his stuff out because they didn't ask permission, apparently, from anybody. They just did it and thought it was fine. Um, which is not cool. Um, and uh, I don't know. The video was fine, I guess. They should definitely have gotten permission from everybody. It's great that they gave credit. A little tiny blip down in the bottom left corner of the screen saying, "Oh, this is a clip from Rodney Smith. This is a clip from um, Will Wheaton, or whatever." But no, they should have gotten permission ahead of time. Uh, and like I said, I have backhand. I have, I have actually R- Ryan. He spent an hour telling me the journey he went on trying to um, you know, get his. You know, his content respected, let's say. alrighty. As a follow-up to the above question, there were many comments decrying WatchMojo's use of small content creator production. Uh, yes, without their permission. Do I believe this use of the content is acceptable... Or should WatchMojo have contacted all the creators... Well, I think I answered that question before they use the content. What, if any, difference would I draw between the use of content in this nature versus using clips from Disney movies, as an example? Um, I don't have to draw. There, There is a very clearly defined legal precedent, which I believe is called fair use. And, of course, it's different from... Um, from country to country. And interestingly, Ryan is Canadian, and they have a different form of fair use that is much more protective of of the uh, the originator of the content. And so that was one of the things that, oh yeah, maybe you did it right by American standards, but by Canadian standards, you did not. I'm a Canadian citizen. You, I mean, And I believe WatchMoto is Canadian as well. And so anyway, I ultimately got it turned down. Here's the thing. Here's why it's okay for WatchMojo to make a top 10 Disney villains list and then use clips of, Scar and Ursula and uh, whoever. I felt like I was going to bring up... That's a good list to do. But anyway, they can do that and take clips, but they can't do what they did or they shouldn't have. And anybody uh, has the right to have that video taken down. The fair use doctrine, as I understand it, is you can use other people's content if the content you are creating is a direct comment or you know commentary or parody or response to that. So here's the deal: they grabbed Ryan's video, they gave him a little bit of credit, but it's not like they were making a list of the ten best moments from Nights Around the Table. They were just using him to make a comment about a game, and um, therefore his stuff was not wor- was not If they're ma- if they're using Clips from The Lion King to say that Scar is the best villain of all time because the entire notion of that video is commentary on the original source material. It's fair use to use it, um, and so if the Mojo List was the you know the the top ten best board game videos of the 2000s, then yes, they could have said, oh, Rodney Smith is really great, and oh, we really miss Will Wheaton. And then that would have been fair use. But they were not doing that. They were talking about the game and using another channel's content they created. It was fine for um, uh, Ryan to do whatever game it was, because he was doing video about that game. Mojo was doing video about the game using somebody else's video about the game, and that was not fair use. So that's why. They were totally in the wrong to do that. I mean, it's great that they did it. I love that it. it's up there, and they should have gotten permission from everybody. And apparently they didn't, and that was totally uncool. And depending on where you were in the world, maybe against the law as well. All Hey, Denny, I think you're the last one, aren't you? Yes, you are." And then we get on to Joe, oh my goodness, I am so I need a break. Earlier today, Denny uh, was watching a top 10 video of the most annoying board game rules and games that we love. I think that was a, to- uh, uh, it was a good one from actually, I actually haven't watched it, but it was a good topic, good topic from Dice This reminded, Denny, of... uh, I often mention in my final thoughts, house rules, or at least ideas, about how to improve the game. Yeah, I often do that when I say, oh man, this could have been so great for two-player if they'd just done this. Why? All right. Would I have time to come up with a top 10 rules tweaks that I would make games shine for two players? Uh, I think... uh, Denny thinks my suggestions are always great. It'd be fun to hear some constructive critique of a game design. That would be an excellent topic. That would be so hard to do, because... As you saw when I was talking about top tens earlier, I can't just go to my ranked and find things. I would have to go back and do a deep study of all the videos I've filmed for almost a decade now, over 1,600 of them, and try to find the 10 best. I, I do not have the strength for that. If somebody else wanted to take that on and could actually catalog every single time out of 1,600 plus games that I have made suggestions for tweaks to make the game better then, yeah, I would love to then take that data and quantify it. And heck, I'd make a top 100 out of that. But, yeah, it's too much work. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know. And it's interesting, too. It'd be a lot of work for not much, because that's a kind of topic that I don't think would get a lot of mentions, or a lot of views. Because like, I have done stuff like that in the past. I, you know, One of my worst performing top tens of all time is my top ten um, non-violent game mechanisms. Or, no, just my top ten game mechanisms. Because people watching Top 10s don't want that. People watching Top 10s are trying to say, right, okay, what are the 10 best of X so I know which one to buy? And saying, oh, mechanisms doesn't help somebody. Saying, oh, ways you could tweak games doesn't help anybody. So that would be maybe the hardest video I've ever done, and it would not get very many views. So it just doesn't make sense to do it. But I do agree. It's an awesome idea, Denny. And folks, oh my goodness, we have finished. The game-related questions. No, that's not true. There are more game-related questions to come. So hang on, folks. And uh, we'll be right back with Jen.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It has been several hours since I last got in front of this microphone because it took that long to pry Jen away <laughs> from her torch. And the only thing that ultimately pried her away is, what is the temperature outside at the moment?
1: I think it's about 105. Or,
0: or something like that. And Jen's like, uh, she's been uh, torching away all day. and got dr- up at
1: six in the morning because yep. I had some orders I had to make.
0: Yep. And uh, she was basically, you're drenching yourself with ice, ice water, I think. Just like putting ice cold towels and whatnot yeah, and yeah. stuff down your back. And, yep. But it just got to where she couldn't do it anymore. And she said, okay, I relent. <laughs> I will go inside with the overhead fan and answer questions. And so, Honey Pie, can you actually prove you're here for the people watching on YouTube? Hello. There we go. Hello. That is not me doing some kind of reacher. Oop, what? Hey, yeah, that's my hands coming. No, it's not. There,
1: there's uh, there. my watch and yeah. ring. You can see it's me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, folks. I um, don't
1: look very good because I've been upstairs sweating my uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're both glistening a bit. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Do so we want to
1: say we're moist.
0: Uh, I have no problem with it, but some people do have a problem with that. <laughs> Okie doke. Have
1: you told them what you don't like?
0: What have I told them I don't like?
1: You don't
0: like um. Pods. Oh, that you'll have to save that for you'll have to folks you'll have to ask what I don't like so we can cover it in a future personal uh, section because we're in the game section now. Oh,
1: I'm sorry.
0: All righty. Just... So, um, Daniel wonders, Honey Pie. Yes. Uh, for cooperative games. To increase the difficulty, would you rather do it by making the bad guys more powerful or the heroes weaker? Of course, your answer is, I'd just rather not be more difficult.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fine. Um, but, yeah. I think I'd rather make the bad guys more powerful.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. I want to be strong. Yeah. I want to be the hero.
0: Okay. So that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. Honestly, I think that would probably be the pretty standard answer. Now, you could argue... The other way to go is uh, is compelling. Also,
1: increase the count of bad guys coming. At you. Oh no,
0: no, no! It, you know, literally, make yourself weaker. That would be the equivalent. I would call it the John McClane Die Hard. At the end of the first movie, Die Hard, he can barely walk. You know, when he has his final confrontation with Hans.
1: Well, poor and, man has got.
0: Yes, I mean, he's, he's walked across and glass and all that. So, I mean. You know, and there's an, there's an implicit drama, very high drama, You know that um, you know he's gone through hell and he can barely, but he still struggles ahead. Yeah. So one could argue that the making heroes weaker would be a way to engender that kind of feeling. Hmm. But you're saying you would not respond well to that, even if it was well done. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be, oh, look, it's just part of the settings. We're like, okay, the, you know, uh, the game starts, whatever it is, Gloomhaven, Pandemic, whatever, and over the course of the game, You know, you do want to have kind of a ramp. You do want things to... I mean, I know you don't want to start out. Some co-ops start where it's just impossible, and then you just get demoralized immediately and want to quit. And so you prefer, okay, well, it starts out, we got it under control, and then things just kind of get worse and worse, and we'll make it to the end. And under those circumstances... What, what what would you find more interesting? That, oh my gosh, we can barely... Oh, we... we you know, Gloomhaven has the heroes get weaker because you're constantly having to give up cards. Yeah. And by the time you're done, I'm done to my last three cards. I don't know That's if we're going to make it. As opposed to the alternate way, which is what you just said, is, oh, well, okay, no, we just never lose anything and just throw more and more and more at us. So what do you find... Would you find something more in interesting that way?
1: Hmm, that is interesting because I do like Gloomhaven for that because it makes really interesting choices. Mm-hmm.
0: But I mean, but the benignum no mistake. The game is taking away options from you. It is taking away your power over the course of a given session. Yeah. And I mean, you obviously responded to it. We haven't played it for quite a while, but you responded to it well at the time. Yeah.
1: Um, I like it in Gloomhaven.
0: <laughs> okay, but your gut is you would rather, yeah, have the game throw more at you rather than take more away from you. Yeah. Okay.
1: I think maybe one of the things I like about it in Gloomhaven is there is. Gloomhaven is a pretty complicated game anyway, so yes. maybe losing some stuff actually <laughs> makes it more manageable.
0: Well, yeah, the longer you play, of course, the more literally fatigued you are. Yeah. your character is more fatigued, and um, you're more you're physically more mentally fatigued, and that's reflected in the game by, oh my gosh, my character can barely move anymore. Mm. So there's like a kind of a, an implicit connection that happens between you that yeah. pulls you more into the world. So you can make that argument also. I'm pretty much convincing myself I want the heroes weaker now. Okay. Which, honestly, I wasn't my gut feeling when I went to answer this, but I think I've convinced myself that it is put- done well. And to be fair, it could be done very poorly. Yeah. So it's kind of harder to do, but done well, I think it's more interesting. And
1: That's fine.
0: And Jen just kind of shrugged. I don't think she has strong feelings about one way or the other, really.
1: No, I'm going to stick with my original, except okay. that I like how Gloomhaven does it.
0: All right. Well, then let's move on to Matt, who is a monster because he has a tough one. Honey Pie. Matt wants you to describe <laughs> your perfect board game in six keywords. Okay. Keywords could be anything mechanisms, themes, components, genre, anything goes. Uh, it doesn't have to even make sense or even be possible to determine. Okay, um, gadget. Hold on a second, hold on. No, no, no. Oh, I, you're, 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 you don't even want to hear his example. Okay. I not want. So, my number one keyboard. of six keywords gadget. And by that, Den doesn't mean inspector gadget. She means, um, you know, a lot of people call it a gimmick. Some kind of, generally, some kind of. Truly physical. mechanical, physical object, like a cube tower from Amerigo or like the the gears in Zolkin or such things. All right.
1: Yep. Uh, I think the art has to be good.
0: All right. So I, pretty.
1: I, uh, yeah. Are we keyword? Okay. Pretty. Gadget. Gadget. Um, solitaire. What is that? that
0: Multiplayer like, solitaire.
1: Is that one term?
0: Uh, it's, it's a pretty common term, meaning that you don't want any player conflict. Right. Now, okay, there's two elements to that. There's you don't want any player conflict. I mean, you can still have interaction that's not player conflict. Yeah. Like um, in Seven Wonders, if you make a stone quarry, I can give you gold for your stone. And it doesn't hurt you. It just... Right. So, uh, when you say multiplayer solitaire, it means we are truly siloed off from each other.
1: Oh, no. I right. want... Which dovetails into my fourth one, which okay. is
0: I want... so no. Oh yeah, so, conflict-free, pretty, gadgets...
1: I want to be able to do something on your turn.
0: Okay, all right.
1: What is that called?
0: Uh, I don't know. A number shared, it depends on how you do it. Simultaneous actions. It could be eating it, but
1: you know what right. I mean,
0: though. Like right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want basically. You you want zero downtime. You always want something to be happening that you're responding to, either on your own turn or because of events that happen on my turn, or because yep. I trigger an event that you can take advantage of. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's so, okay. So that's that's a good one.
1: Some sort of bonus. What is that five? That's four.
0: That's four. Okay, you got two more.
1: Um. Next. This is sounding
0: like a pretty good game, folks. I gotta say. Yeah.
1: The next one, I, something popped into my head, and then you started. Oh, sorry, about sorry. Something else. Oh shoot, what was it? Yeah. It was something on. Oh. Ah, multi thingies for the same multi actions on the same card.
0: Like, multi-use use the, cards.
1: Top left, right away.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, multi-use cards. That's a good one. That's yep. a classic one.
1: And.
0: This is sounding like the greatest game of all time.
1: I'm trying to think of something else.
0: If you need some suggestions, you could go to look at his sample list. I don't
1: even want to look at his stuff. All I don't right. want my head polluted with anybody else's ideas. <laughs> um, an hour.
0: That's what I was going to point you to. If you look at the Venus, he's sixtieth oh. minutes. So I was just going to try and help you towards wow. that because. Okay.
1: Well, you know, I wasn't looking. Yeah,
0: I can. She was literally looking at the sky, folks. You can't tell that from looking at the picture of her, but <laughs> that's a good list. Gadgets, beautiful, um, no conflict. Uh, Simultaneous actions, we'll call it. Or no downtime, I guess another way to put it. Um, Multi-use cards and uh, 60-ish minutes.
1: Yep. All right. Okay, so what did he say? That's
0: fantastic. He wanted expeditions, co-op, modular boards, dice drafting, language independence, and 60-ish minutes. Uh, Let's see. So, I think I want to play yours more, honey pie. No offense. Although I do appreciate the co-op, which would probably be in mine. Um, Let's see. And then finally, who would have to design it and who should be the artist... But he did give you an out because he did say if Jen can't ever call a correct designer, the designer of Dungeon Fence is also a valid answer.
1: Um, (sighs) That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, my favorite artist.
0: Oh, okay. There's no way you know board game artists. My name. No,
1: probably not. I'm just looking around at all the boxes.
0: I, 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 I think he'd let you off the hook for that. Okay. But that was, Matt, Matt will let you off the hook for that. That was an excellent list. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously pretty. And I would also go for the 60 ish minutes. And, um, and I would put cooperation in there because in my perfect game, I always prefer co ops to competitives. Uh, wow, you had a lot of really good ones. So I just don't want to steal them now. Um, boy. Not uh, Jen, I, Jen nodded out of the park. I think Jen's was too perfect. I can't improve on that. Well, <laughs> well done, honey pie. Thank
1: you. All right. I know what I like.
0: I know. That was a good list. And I Honestly, I thought you were going to struggle. I thought I was going to... I was hovering over the pause key to give you some time, <laughs> oh. but you nailed it. Well done. Yeah. I think I would struggle with that more than you did. Jeez. Okay. Um, let's move on to Nigel, who, with the COVID situation uh, um, being what it is at the moment, it wonders, the idea of attending large indoor gatherings with strangers from all over the place doesn't sit well. Um... And the organizers of conventions seem to uh, be meeting and uh, exceeding recommended precautions uh, for hosting events. But in spite of that, the risk of infection and spread is arguably still significant for people traveling to and from conventions or and staying in hotels, uh, as such restrictions may not necessarily be enforced in the areas outside of the convention centers. <clears throat> Nigel must be British. Um, Centers. All right. So, Honey Pie, do you feel it is the right time to be hosting conventions? Nigel appreciates many people's livelihoods in the industry depend on trade shows, but I'm purely from a public health point of view.
1: Well, there's an answer that's... The right answer from a public health point of view, isn't there?
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, it, it, quite frankly, everybody should still stay in their homes at all times. Um, that is where we are because of the recent surge of Delta and because of the absolutely ridiculous um, inability for sizable portions of the population to do the right thing and show the bravery that they're always talking about um, and actually make a sacrifice for the greater good, i.e. get a shot. So, um, know, oh, we. This is a question we are having to ask, not about the greater group, but for ourselves. Because yeah. uh, just the other day, uh, we got invited as special guests for <laughs> Board Game Geek Con in Dallas, and our initial response is yes, because we both love it. It's a great sales yeah. opportunity for Jen, and I have a great time, and all of that. And our immediate response was, well, yeah, because honestly, I trust Scott and Jeff to be really responsible, Um, and you know, when we're both vaccinated, we got vaccinated some of the earliest in the country because we are both over 50 and we were caregivers for my mother who was over 65. So we were able to get in on like the first or second wave. I think it was the second. Yeah. And we're we're Moderna, which arguably has the best stats for uh, minimizing Delta infection and all that. And um, so, I mean, on some level, I think we'd feel fairly confident and fairly safe, particularly because ISIS, I don't know what the rules would be, but I mean, I don't know, maybe we would just wear masks regardless. Yeah.
1: I don't, there's nothing preventing us from wearing a mask everywhere other than our room.
0: Yeah, honestly, I feel weird going outside in Washington state not wearing a mask. I I would rather Washington state kept I mean I'm, I'm happy that Oregon yeah, um Oregon, decided Oregon. to to mask back up and I kind of wish Washington state would too. I haven't I know we're ahead of the curve in terms, you know, because we have a higher percentage of vaccinated uh, population. Yeah. Although of course we live in southern Washington, which is just about the worst place for um, vaccinations because we are definitely in a conservative area, unfortunately. Um so I don't know. I mean so our, our our response was, well for us, yeah, we'd really like to go. It'd be really great to see people and have a good time and all of that. And so like I said, our initial response was yes, but we are kind of waiting and seeing. I I've got the uh and I need to do it on your phone too. Um Google Pay is a is an app that I think I uninstalled because we never really need it. It's the thing that lets you just wave your phone and oh. it becomes a credit card. Oh. So I've uninstalled it, but I'm going to reinstall it um, because, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, did I mess up your, okay. Sorry about that. There was a phone app. I, I had a prop, which I didn't even need because three quarters of you can't knows. even see us. Yes. But um, there's a phone app that uh, t- it now ties in to show, look, here's here's a verifiable proof that you've been vaccinated. Oh. Yeah. I thought you
1: were going to say that I wouldn't have to touch people's credit cards or something.
0: Well, there's that too, I suppose. I wasn't even thinking about that. But um, I mean, it could very well be the case if you wanted to do it. But no, I was saying um, that Google Pay on Android, and there's a different one on smartphones, can now be modified so it will show a verifiable, yes, proof of infection. This person. um, Uh,
1: Proof of vaccination. Thank
0: you. Proof of vaccination. This person. So I've got that. I'm ready to carry it around. I mean, I wear this shirt. I will happily wear that at the show too. It's a team Vax shirt. In case few I folks can't see it, I believe
1: we'll be wearing gamer glass shirts at the show.
0: Uh maybe we have to get some special uh, gamer Vax, or gamer glass Vax <laughs> shirts, or something like that. Right. Um. But uh, yeah. So we're, we're preliminary going, but I would love. I mean, so far Jeff and Scott have not announced like their final because they're still waiting to see how things evolve. Ah. I am hoping they say, yeah, you're not allowed unless you can show proof of vaccination we'll refund you now. If you, if you won't do it, you can't come in the door. Um, especially because the government's finally getting their act together and you know, these vaccination apps are starting to propagate. I've got one on my phone. I'm going to put one on Jen's phone too. Hey, if you're a board game geek, chances are you are a little bit more tech savvy than the average Joe and could probably figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see that and I would certainly still be fine saying, yeah, I mean, it's going to be mask, uh, mandated too. So yes, to answer your question, should we be doing it? No, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, a, a lot of people, board game geek included, suffered hugely financially, and um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, needs to get going again.
1: We we need to get going again. The whole yeah. country needs to get going again. And if people would just get vaccinated... If people would just
0: get vaccinated and get could, over themselves... Yeah,
1: we could just get on with it.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, just do the right thing for your fellow man. And um, But, so I mean, I, I, I would certainly feel more comfortable if they would institute a, yeah, you have to show proof of vaccination. And I know... You can fake proof of vaccination, but um, by all appearances, the percentage of people who are doing that is so infinitesimally small um, that I just don't really see that it's going to be that much of a difference. Somebody who, oh, well, okay, I can pay hundreds of dollars so that I can fake vaccination so I can get in there is more likely this can I just get my money back? I mean, I, I really don't think fake uh, proof of vaccination would really be much of an issue. So that's kind of where I'm at okay. because I'd really like to go. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, and we don't need to. Um, but again, I also trust Scott Alden. Uh, Scott from the beginning has been one of the most cautious people in the industry. I mean, he was shutting down immediately. I've talked to him about how bad he felt that he had people in Vegas at Gamma the week things really started breaking, and it really, I mean, uh, you got to him. So he takes this very seriously. Yeah,
1: I mean, we were at uh, Dice Tower West
0: just at, uh, weeks before. Like, yeah,
1: I think the next week is when they. Yeah, mm-hmm. They started shutting things down. Yeah, so.
0: And that's kind of where we are. Everybody's got to make a decision for themselves. The nice thing is we know we'd be fairly safe and we'd be very secure. I mean, we, for years at conventions, we have both been um, hardcore devotees of the fist bump. We never shake hands at conventions. Sorry, you haven't done that with me for like 10 years. Yeah. So we always have taken this cuff seriously. And we've always come back not sick, unlike everybody else. We always avoid con crud. So we would certainly take this to an even higher level um and honestly i really liked my mask uh made for me by betsy i mentioned uh yeah. uh steve and betsy earlier betsy made us those masks i haven't had cause to wear it for weeks now and it's a cool little mask so <laughs> we'll see what happens all righty nick had the pleasure of meeting us at board game Geek Con two years ago and wanted to get our thoughts on attending okay i think i put these together because they were both the same so it's oh, a continuous bumps yeah um ah. yeah no so the last time we met i was giving fist bumps to stave off con crud yep so more specifics we'll be going back to convention this year like i said we're we're in a wait and see pattern but cautiously optimistic that we will be at um board game geek west and it will certainly be super duper confident
1: board game geek dallas. gosh darn
0: it dallas 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 um we'll be super duper confident once they announce their final sessions, which of course they're not going to do till closer because things are shifting i mean they might actually cancel it again i i I mean, I believe Aldi will do the right thing when push comes to shove. Because he's motivated bo- more by the love of people than money at the end of the day. That's just kind of the person he is. What is the best way to interact with you as a fan? Fist bump to say hello and mast, of course. I think you nailed it. <laughs> um, I guess we can do the elbow thing. But, I mean, heck, we're both vaccinated, so I think a fist bump will probably be okay. Um, I know you've played games with fans. Plus, I mean, it's it's ultimately come out that surface transmission is not the issue. It's what everybody was worried about, and but it's it's all aerosolized. It's all water droplets, mm-hmm. so... Um, right. And so for wearing masks, Oh, I can't touch my face anymore. I can't, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, though. no, you've played games in fast. Would you be up for that? If so, what type of game would you be interested in? Shorter games to get in and out? Yeah. I mean, obviously what I do, what we've done for the last few years, not last year, obviously was Jen gets a booth and I get a table at her booth and I just sit there with, we'll play games <laughs> and anybody who comes by and wants to play a game, I'll play a game with them. And I'm just sitting there for however long it is.
1: Yeah. You're usually reading rules. And-
0: yeah. And, uh, you know I bring some games I need to get played for the channel. If there's games I really want to play that are in the library that I get a chance to check out. Um, We might pick up some games there from publishers that have come back from Essen since we won't be at Essen this year. Who knows? But yeah, obviously, shorter is better. Obviously. Hopes to see us at the convention soon. Hope people will wake up to taking vaccines to help us all get back to life's normal. Um... Or who was it? It was Nick. Nick is uh, Nick knows his group of gaming fans. Can't wait for Con, and I hope the world's in a better place in three months. Yeah. You and us both. And that was it. So there was just a few little gamey things, honey, oh. and then we get into the personal stuff. Okay. Unless you had anything more to say about that.
1: Um, no, I, no, but I guess just the more that we've been talking about it, the more I just feel like, mm-hmm. even if there's no mask mandate... I think it's just, it's just wise. I think that's a personal decision I will make to just wear my mask.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Well then you'll find us as the only two in the yeah. uh, dealer booth wearing masks, obviously. It'll be easy to spot that way or who knows. We'll see. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they've released some preliminary things about, you know, we might have masks, you know, when transiting between areas, but they basically said, we we're not sure yet. Check back soon. Uh, because they're just waiting to see how things evolve and change.
1: Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking, too, about people touching, you know, the glass and picking it up and looking at it and setting it back down and all mm-hmm. that.
0: Well, it's interesting. You, for years, have always talked about how hard it is to get people to pick the stuff up because <laughs> they just want to look at it. And you're like, no, pick it up and touch it. And it's it's that's meant true. to be held.
1: So maybe this year that will be a benefit that it's glass and people are, t- you know, hesitant to yeah. Pick up glass.
0: Yeah, maybe. That's interesting. But uh, so we might see you there. Well, <laughs> time will tell. And folks, that's it. <clears throat> for game-related stuff, although we got a little bit into politicy personal stuff. And if you want more of that, hold on. We'll be right back. And if you don't want any more of that, then thanks for watching and or listening. Send more questions to questions at co- ro- or Questions at the email address. <laughs> Boy, I'm really falling apart. Even after all that break, I'm just completely scatterbrained. Uh, talk to you later so long. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody. Welcome back to the personal Q's and A's. Hello again, honey pie. Excuse me. So before we get into it, um, um, if you've been watching on YouTube, you know, for the last few episodes, I have been Pulling all the stuff out of emails first and putting them into a Word document because now that since I started showing things, some people have their SIGs, you know, or their email addresses and their signature. And I was like, I, ah, okay, so just I pulled it all out and I'm still, for the most part, trying not to read it wherever possible so that we can kind of have spontaneous responses. Hmm. Um, but as I was going through stuff, there was so much. So much so many hot button topics that people wanted to follow up on from previous podcasts and you may remember in the game the original game section I was talking earlier about burnout and and stuff I'm trying to do to keep myself having fun doing this and I think everybody Darren Eric, Thomas, Daniel Arno, Nathan, Jack, Nick. Uh, you, 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 all had wonderful, well thought out things that you wanted to talk about or delve deeper into the subjects of one world governments and gun laws and um, you, know, uh, why, you know my following subscriber numbers and all of that. And I'm like, this kind of stuff just makes it so much unfun to do these podcasts. It's so much more fun to talk about. I, I, I just got to take a break from it for a while. So uh, apologies to all of you. Um, I will seed the points. Maybe we can circle back and, but for I think for the next few episodes, it'd be ni- nice just not to have to hit so, so much heavy stuff. We already did hit a little bit of heavy stuff a bit ago with vaccinations and whatnot, and so I'm just gonna try and keep it easy. I will mention one more thing though, because there was certainly tons of folks wanted, to, you know, there's lots of in depth people wanting to do back and forth about. Um, my social justice woke shirts leading to a downturn in new subscribers. If you'd like to know more, go to guild.rado.com. There is a fairly long thread on this topic that somebody started after the last podcast. And there's all kinds of stats and figures and bar graphs and all kinds of things. If you really want to dig down on it and points and counterpoints being made, and I'll be honest, that was just an incredibly depressing thread to have to keep coming back to every day, day after day. So I'm just like, oh, I I just don't want to jump back into it again. But there's a lot of stuff there if you are interested. And probably some of your points are mentioned in that thread. I, I will mention one more new point that I haven't put in the thread yet, because I just stumbled across it a couple days ago and I'm still reeling. Um, three or four or five years ago, for actually for the majority of the life of this channel, about anywhere from 50 to 60 percent of my audience on YouTube was in the United States of America, and then the other 50, the other half or so was spread amongst the world. Um, my, um, share of the audience for America is now 33%. It has dropped to an incredibly low low. And it's not that, oh no, the rest of the world has caught up. It's the lion's share of the unsubscribes I've been getting. And it's not about a slowdown in new subscribes. It's more an end uptick of unsubscribes. The vast majority of them have been in the United States. Take that as an extra bullet point if you like. at this point, I am still planning on standing strong and not giving in and supporting causes I believe in. But, uh, yeah. So, I'm just going to leave it at that. So, um... Uh, But thank you for writing, Nathan, Jack, Nick, Darren, Eric, Thomas, Daniel, and Arno. But we're going to handle some easier stuff this month, starting with Priscilla, who wants to know, do we have plans to ever move out of the U.S. in the future?
1: Yes, we do. Yes,
0: we do. (laughs) For all kinds of reasons that have been tangentially touched upon in this very episode. Um, You know, this comes up every once in a while. I mean, uh, you know, if you'd asked us six months ago... We were getting to the point where we might have done it fairly quickly, but as I mentioned right up front, we've gone through a bunch of stuff recently. We're through the other end of it now, and I think if 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 we can stay on the road that we're on, which was very stressful and very expensive, we might be able to stick around here a while longer. But it's always ultimately been the goal to get back to England. England. Although I keep wanting to push her towards Ireland, and uh, maybe time will tell. Let's we'll see just what say happens. The UK. Um, no, I'm not saying the UK. I'm not saying Northern Ireland, I'm saying Ireland proper. Uh, it's definitely not the United Kingdom. Um but so yeah, it's, someday we will we will leave these shores for good. righty
1: No, I don't think that's not for good That not, was an over
0: exaggeration no. for effect for no reason. Okay. Well oh, no. go on. So no, no you wanna die grow old, and die in America is what you're saying?
1: No, but I just don't wanna say we hate this place, we're <laughs> leaving goodbye and you know, whatever. No, I don't feel that way. Uh-huh. I just feel that um, socialized health care is a huge, yes. huge yes. thing. Yep. And we are not going to continue to pay a ridiculous amount in insurance premiums for oh the rest my gosh. of our lives. Oh my gosh. And then probably be bankrupted anyway.
0: Yep. Yes.
1: So that is the number one reason that we would leave the U.S.
0: Okay. Yeah, fair point. Yep, you're right. Okay.
1: So All I right. just want to say that. I love America. I've loved... Being back in the states, it is really nice to live here. It's so convenient. Yeah,
0: that um, is the buzzword. Yeah, convenient. So. If you if you've got enough money, if you cross a certain threshold, um, in terms of you know, finances, it's the greatest place in the world to live. And yeah. fortunately, yeah. we are fortunate enough to be able to live comfortably yes. in this country, Absolutely. even if we are paying just a ridiculous ridiculous amount in healthcare. All righty, um, Matilda. Wonders or points out that uh, she knows that we have no intention of going, or I have no intention of going back to video game development. But still, if I did, (laughs) what would my 10 year plus experience as the board game podcaster bring to the table? I probably not too terribly much. I would be at a huge disadvantage if I tried to go back to the video game industry tomorrow. I would have to do so much research. What's that?
1: Did you tell them that you were just headhunted recently? Was I? Yeah, you just said, "Honey, should I take oh, this job?" Oh, yeah,
0: I forgot. Yes, yeah, it still happens. It doesn't happen near as much as it used to. It used to be, I'd get uh, reach out every week, but these days it's maybe a couple times a year that some were like, "Oh my gosh, should we go do that?" Because that would be literally the biggest thing in the world. And but no, we don't want to. We don't want to move or do all that. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you put in the ha ha, Matilda, because I don't think. Um, Certainly, uh, my channel is going to give me much uh, help in that arena. uh, Ironically, the last major AAA console game I was working on before I left the industry was very informed by board games. Uh, It was a multiplayer action game where players had to choose characters, and I was directly borrowing the... um, the character selection from small worlds. You know, the, every time somebody skips over it, uh, it gets more and more valuable kind of thing until eventually somebody, even though it was a crappy character, has to take it. So, I mean, I imagine board games would help me in some ways, but being a board game video person, probably not so much. Would the answer to that question be the same if we imagined you becoming a full-time board game developer? Oh, geez, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, the reality is, in my experience, from what little I know about board game development, the overlap... Between board game and video game development, I mean, there's such, at least the way I did it, the the level I worked at, they are such radically different things. I, I, I don't see much overlap, but yeah, I would say I would certainly be a much better board game developer today than I would have been seven or eight years ago, and largely because I've spent a decade now just nonstop thinking about how to make games better. It's like really been my number one thing I think about above all else. So yeah, I think I'd be pretty good at it. And I've been told I'd be pretty good at it. And I've had job offers, and I've turned them down. All righty. Hey, Jack. uh, My offhand comment last month that we don't get chicken questions anymore made Jack realize... (laughs) Does have a chicken question. They're still taking care of their inherited chickens. Egg production shot up in the spring, uh, which we talked about previously. However, it's summer now, and it's dropped again. Do chickens have varying egg production based on season? Perhaps the temperature is the driving force. Have your chickens increased egg production in the recent uh, north Pacific Northwest heat waves? Because we're in one right now, too. Mm -hmm. The second big one. Uh, Finally, what do you do to keep your chickens comfortable in heat or cold?
1: Goodness. Now, that's some personal stuff. Written out. Yes. Do chickens have varying egg production based on season? Um, They will molt, usually in the autumn.
0: Now, when you say molt, that means they are losing feathers. Yep. And there's visible, you can see, they become patchy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or bald. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, entirely. So, that certainly, because when they lose their feathers, they divert all production into regrowing feathers, and you don't get any eggs. How long does that last? Oh, gosh, it can last six to eight weeks. Okay. Yeah. And then, since they do it in the fall and the light levels are decreasing as you're heading into the winter, the light levels also indicate less production. Just in general. Yeah.
0: Less, I mean, because some places just keep them in light all the time, right? Exactly. Which is like one of the factory farm evil things that they do. Just never let them out of light, so they're laying all the time. Or something like that, I guess.
1: Basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want your hens to continue excuse me, laying throughout the winter, you do have to give them supplemental light. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll lay some, but they just won't lay a normal amount.
0: Because of the lack of sunlight.
1: Yep. All right. And that's just nature's way of saying, hey, take a chill pill.
0: Okay. Let's relax. It's winter. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Right. So they have, yes, chickens have varying egg production based on season. Yes.
0: Well, he's saying it's dropped in the summer, and you didn't say anything about the summer.
1: Well, um, certainly we've had a lot... I don't know where he is, but... I don't know. Yeah. um, We've had several heat waves come through, and I think... Basically, you've got a two-week window uh, where the egg production is affected around any event. So if, if, like right now, we've had a four-day heat thing, I'm expecting that in two weeks we will have um, a problem.
0: Oh, because they've got eggs in the chute right now. Yeah. But the eggs that are coming out in two weeks are not being put into the chute. Right now, because it's over 100 degrees outside.
1: Uh, They're stressed. Right, right, right. So they're less likely to produce an egg, which will then travel down the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or go
0: through the whole... Yeah, all all that.
1: Um, So I've heard it's about a two-week, you know, lag kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. But I haven't done any um, actual spreadsheeting on that. (laughs) So don't take me at exactly 14 days. Okay, But, yes... Um, so let's see. Temperature is a driving force. Absolutely. Mainly in that they are stressed.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's stress in general. I mean, the, you'll yep. see an egg production drop off if, if, if a coyote gets in and kills a few of them. Yep. Two weeks later. Oh, the ones that didn't get killed will drop off because oh, yep. all right.
1: Yep. Any kind of stress. Don't let
0: that happen. It happened to us. Foxes. Foxes. In England. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. And they killed all of them except one, I think. Remember that one that was in the nest box? So she survived.
0: I don't recall that specifically, but anyway. it was a very stressful time.
1: Yes. So my chickens have decreased egg production. Yes. Um, what do I do to keep them comfortable in either heat or cold? Heat is, is actually pretty easy. It's just keeping your ground moist so that it's yes. cooler.
0: So what you do a couple times a day, you go out with a garden hose, right? Yep.
1: And spray everything and just, down.
0: just, yeah. And you don't create puddles. You just literally wet down all of the... All yeah, thicker. plus where ours are they're they're out of the sh- they're they they got lots of shade.
1: Loads of shade. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And then you just wet all that down. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um you can also give I gave the first time we had the heat wave, I gave them ice um in their water. Mm-hmm. And they seemed to think I was going to kill them. <laughs> but they always think that whenever something new is introduced. Yeah. So, I haven't done that this time. I've just freshened the water every time I go out and um, <clears throat> you know, with cold water every time I water the round okay so um that i also am making sure that they're getting enough food because they tend not to eat as much if they're hot so i'm putting wet food out there for them so that's helpful
0: because that's kind of a treat for them they're more inclined to eat wet food oh mean. they
1: love wet food anything glistening and moist moist i say
0: because it's like worms yeah i guess all right
1: yep um so what else what else do i do
0: i don't know but there's also what about oh. extreme cold
1: um, well, hold on. All right. I also am ventilating the coop a lot more. We put up some mm. chicken wire over the doors. Yeah, so we can leave time. the doors open, yeah. Yeah, so we're leaving the doors open. Yeah. Um, so that's helpful. We have chicks this time. Yeah. We have five baby chicks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I noticed that they're not huddling under the mother hen <laughs> quite so much these days. Uh, when I went out to check on them last night and closed the the big doors down, uh, they were they were not under her at all. Yeah. So it's definitely warm enough for chicks at the moment. Uh, so, okay, so in in cold, yes. I actually haven't ever had a, a real severe problem. I buy chickens that are are specified for the neighborhood or area that I live in. Okay. Um, if chickens have a big comb, that, that can get frostbitten. So if you live in a really cold area or in the northern states, you probably wouldn't be buying chickens that have a big ah. um, fancy comb. hmm now, Wyandots, for example, have a really smushed down comb. It's kind of like they are wearing a little pillow on their head. <laughs> so yeah, I just I I think if you're a chicken person, you will know which breeds to get for your area. Okay. And other than that, they seem fine, uh, even when they've molted. They
0: they refused to go out in the snow when we had we well, that's had That's true, some... but that's
1: just because we were trying to kill them.
0: Yes. Yeah. They we had snow, pretty deep snow for almost a week. And they just, no matter what, they would not leave the coop.
1: I had to go out there and shovel the snow off of the, we have like a little, what is it? Crates? No, it's not. Um, pallets. Pallets out there, like a pallet decking. Uh, uh, probably four of them from the chicken door uh, to keep them out of the mud. And I had to go out and sweep that all off so that they would mm-hmm. have something familiar to, to land on. And then they were happy to come out.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, that I certainly makes up for the lack of chicken questions. Well done, Jack. Yes. And next question, have I seen the Amazon Prime series Patriot? Not to be confused with the Mel Gibson movie. If so, what did I think? And if not, highly recommend it, says Jack. It's his favorite show of all time. Don't be fooled by the generic sounding name or premise. It's like nothing else out there. If you do get to watching, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I have watched the first season of it and I did think it was very cool. I'm trying to remember, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it is a show about, it's kind of a grim, dour uh, like I remember, I think it's either FBI or CIA agent, and um, his father is X, and it's just a really quirky, odd show. And I did think, I watched the first season, and I thought that was very cool, and then somehow I just never got around the second season. So it's somewhere on my list, because I did think it was very good. But I honestly, this was years ago. Um, and I just somehow missed the second if, in fact, it keeps going. So it's one of the things to get back to because I did think it was good, but I couldn't tell you particulars. It's really not fresh in my mind. Okay, from Andrus. uh, I said that we were looking forward... Or that I, not Jen, I was looking forward to Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe show. Andrews wonders my thoughts about the show and the show's low audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and all the controversy on YouTube. I don't know why, but YouTube Algorithm offers me so many hate videos about Smith's show. Uh, Yes, it's a real shame. Um, I did watch it because I am a Kevin Smith fan. I'm not a particular fan of the subject matter or Netflix animated series at all. Um, And I thought it was very good, although I thought it was okay. But then I watched all the, you know, uh, on Kevin Smith's channel. He did a thirty-minute watch where he and the writer of a given episode would watch the episode, and I watched those, and I appreciated so much more now seeing all the love and passion and attention that went into it. I mean, that's always going to make you appreciate something more if you actually see the artists behind it and their thought process and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, after having watched those, I was almost tempted to watch the series again. Now, that, so I highly recommend it. Uh, I think uh, the YouTube channel is that Kevin. Kevin. Smith is his YouTube channel, and you can see he's got whatever it is, seven episodes, each of them a half an hour long, where he and his various writers sit down and give you behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, It's super depressing, all the hate it got, Um, but I guess to be expected... Uh, it's the same kind of hate I get for saying, uh, hey, Black Lives Matter, it, that show gets for saying, hey, you know what? Tila is an important character too, and uh, maybe uh, she deserves to also be a master of the universe. Oh, heaven forbid. It's a shame. Um, so yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to the second half of the first season, especially after having watched all, not behind-scenes stuff, not making of, but rather just the artists sitting and talking and joking around uh, about how passionate and you know what a labor of love it was for them. All righty. Melanie uh, wonders, what do we do uh, for our dog's grooming? Ah. Do we take them to a groomer or groom them ourselves?
1: Well, our first dog was a Lhasa Opsomut, and she needed grooming, and I learned how to do it. So mm. um, that was Scuttle, obviously. Yeah. We trimmed her down.
0: Um, Did you ever take her to dog salons? I don't recall you ever doing it. That
1: was when we were quite young and house poor. So yes, probably not. In
0: our mid-20s, yeah. Yeah. So we probably just couldn't afford it.
1: Yeah. So uh, you just then, learned
0: how to do dog haircuts.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was cutting your hair. Yeah. Cut Skittle's hair. Um, and then we got beagles, and they just need a bath every so often and just to be brushed out. And to so have their... Nails done. Nails,
0: nails trimmed. Yeah. yeah, because they shed. They don't just keep growing and growing and growing.
1: Right. Yeah. So we do it ourselves. Yeah. I Meaning mm. I do it.
0: And, um, and Daisy, who is half beagle, half... <sighs> P V G V she definitely gets long and she'll just become a fur ball. So you are cutting her fur now too. That's true, yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure we did a uh behind the scenes Rotto Ramble video of it at one no, it's when we were doing personal postcards. Remember for mm. Patreon backers where we were video doing every postcards. month we'd have a postcard of just stuff in our lives. Yep. And one of them was you giving Daisy a trim. So um but that we stopped doing those a while ago. Um, anyway, though, uh, although you can always go back and see all the old ones. If you do back on Patreon, the whole catalog is there. Dozens, if not hundreds of hours of behind the scene footage. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So you did recently take them to a dog grooming place. Yeah. And apparently it was a nightmare and you'll never do it again.
1: Yeah. Basically I took them to Petco one time. Uh, mm-hmm. it was now over a year ago. Yeah. And I think that they weren't very patient with cutting the dog's nails. And now I have a problem with
0: which you never used to. Yeah. Yep. They used to be totally calm about it.
1: Yep. yep. So that's unfortunate.
0: <clears throat> Live and learn. Okay. Daniel says, really sorry about this, but can we both say awesome exclamation point excitedly mm-hmm. at the same time like Jen did in episode 72, which was, we're on episode 75, so this is months ago. I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't either. But dude, would you like just on 3, 2, 1, awesome?
1: Can we sing everything is awesome?
0: Uh, he didn't specify. I don't think we did that three episodes ago, but we can do that if you want. Uh,
1: okay. Well, All right. we can do, I'll just do three, two, one. Awesome.
0: All right. Three, two, one.
1: Awesome. awesome!
0: Was that, was that, did that tick the box, Daniel? I don't know, <laughs> but everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. So get vaccinated. Anyway, um, Yannick wonders, uh, Yannick knows that, uh, Jen and I both love to travel Uh, and uh, Yannick likes the occasional top 10 from us, so how about our top 10 European cities and top 10 North American cities?
1: Oh, I guess this must be cities we visited, not cities that we're looking forward to.
0: Uh, I guess you could go either way, but I'm sure he's thinking cities we actually visited, yeah. Okay,
1: well, London is definitely my number one European city.
0: Right. That's your number one city, period. I love London. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Number two is probably going to be Barcelona.
0: Barcelona.
1: Yep. Number what
0: about um, Scotland? What about uh,
1: Edinburgh? Edinburgh? That was pretty cool. Yeah.
0: But you're not sure if it makes top 10? No. Well, right. no,
1: it's just, it doesn't make top All right. three anyway. Um,
0: well, obviously Venice. Let's just get the obvious out of the let's way. Let's just do yeah, that. Yeah, clearly. So we've got London, Barcelona, yeah, okay, Venice. Wait.
1: London, Venice, Barcelona. No, <laughs> London, Venice, Rome, Barcelona.
0: So that's your that's your top four. You're actually putting these in order. I would have thought Venice would be, or London, Venice, Rome, Barcelona. Okay, go on. What's your number five?
1: Yep, I'm going to go Edinburgh. Edinburgh, at point. number five. I think I'm going to go with Paris for number six. Six. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Valletta for number seven.
0: Really? Ma- Malta representing Malta in the house of Valletta, number seven. All right. Yep. It's uh, lovely.
1: It is. It, and what? It's
0: I- one of the things that prompted us to move there. Yeah. Is when yeah. we went and saw it. Or no, right, Valletta or Mdina. Or is Mdina? Mdina is not really a city. No, yeah, yeah. Valletta. Yeah, okay. Valletta
1: has a real sense of history to mm-hmm. it. I liked it a okay. lot. So seven. Um, and then I think so. We've been to Madrid. We've been to, um, Milan. We've been
0: to. Uh, we can't put on both, but I would definitely uh, give a nod to Cologne, which I've been to several times. Back when I was still in the video game industry, there yeah. was a big convention I went to several years in a row. And Cologne was just so wonderful. But we'll leave it off because Jen and I both haven't been there.
1: Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, we enjoyed Prague, but we were really only there for a day.
0: It was still amazing.
1: Yeah. So,
0: all right. Eight is Prague. What about Athens?
1: Athens gets bumped up. All right. Athens Athens above Prague.
0: Athens above Valletta? No. All right.
1: Athens was great, though. Mm -hmm. I really... Well, God, that's hard. (laughs) I might have to bump Valletta up a little bit.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, no one's gonna hold you to this. I mean, okay. I, you can just be rough. Okay.
1: Um, so let's see. I think was that eight? Was I? I think eight?
0: we're at eight. I think you need two more.
1: Okay.
0: Um, uh, what about Switzerland? I, I mean, we've been to Bern and stuff. I don't really remember anything <laughs> particularly amazing about. What about when that- um, we um, hung out in um, Belgium and we went to Ghent and we oh, went to? Oh yes.
1: um, What's the lovely place? Um, no. Do er, er. you need a map? It's not Brussels. It's, Hold I think on. it's Ghent.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it was Ghent. Uh, let's I will just give you all right, uh, Google Maps. Boop. So woo woo it may minimize you. Woo.
1: Let's see. Yeah, There's I, Europe. Okay. Well I think it's get closer in
0: Belgium. Well, what about Amsterdam? We've been to Amsterdam.
1: Yeah, I did like Amsterdam.
0: And Can we've I... been to no, we didn't go to Copenhagen, did we? we no, did. we were in Copenhagen. Of yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, of course.
1: We... I want to see. If... Is it Ghent? I'm thinking it's not Ghent. It's something nearby Ghent, though. Bruges. Bruges.
0: Oh, Bruges was so amazing. That's what it was. Yes, Bruges was incredible. That's true.
1: Um, we also went to um, Madeira.
0: Um, oh yeah, on the island. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, we've been to Marrakesh. That was really cool.
0: You uh, didn't. You didn't ask for African cities. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. Um, so okay. we can leave that off okay. the list anyway.
1: One thing, I know you've been to um, Porto. Yeah. haven't been though.
0: Yeah. Well, I didn't spend much time there actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we're at ten though. Yeah. All right. So that was that.
1: Wait, that's weird. That there's only Paris in France. Let's go up to the north part of France.
0: Well, what about Nancy?
1: That was fun, but we. But were it's like just because of the name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nancy. Uh
0: huh. What um, do you want?
1: Oh well, like. St. Malo,
0: maybe? Uh, I, that's a castle. That's not really a city.
1: Okay. Well, we we just enjoyed the whole northern coast of France. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, he wants cities. Yep. Right. Okay, no, I'm going to have to get Amsterdam in there somewhere. All right. And, I, you know, I feel like we should say something about Dusseldorf or something, but...
0: Well, actually, I mean, Cologne was wonderful. Yeah. And, I mean, and honestly, we haven't really done much other, I mean...
1: We did the Rhine tour... Yeah. And that was really nice, but I wouldn't, I can't remember any particular city no, that we no. had.
0: It was all kind of blend together, really. And
1: I liked Copenhagen. And
0: we have not been um, that far north.
1: No, we so... haven't been that far east. Yeah, exactly.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I'd say that's a pretty good list. Pretty, pretty good.
1: Okay. And then North American cities.
0: All right. And now I'm going to open that as a guest so that people can't see our location in. Um... All right. So, yeah. All right, I, I just need to log out. I, I'm a, Don't worry, honey, I'm going to blur it. When we, when I first went to this page, yeah, I was a dummy, yeah. and um, your exact location briefly appeared on screen because, of course, Jen and I track each other. Oopsie doopsie. So, oh, and I just did it again, even without. All right, so that was the second time I had to blur out the screen, which I don't particularly like doing, okay. so.
1: So let's see, um, places that we like in the States. Obviously, yes. Seattle's awesome.
0: Seattle, Austin.
1: I mean, Austin, I know you don't yeah. like
0: the temperature and no, the Austin climate, but Austin like. is such a wonderful city.
1: I agree. I like to bend a lot.
0: Bend? I mean, is that a city, though? Maybe really? No, yeah. No. It's a town. It's a town. It's a town. Okay. All right. So, Seattle, Austin. Um, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time in New York, but oh, not Corning. on your list. Corning. That's Cor- another town, really. I would not
1: go to New York City again. All right. Okay. I mean, There's just nothing there for me. Mm-hmm. Um. Sorry. New York City people, I—I'm sure you love it. It's just too hectic and. What about
0: busy. San Antonio? Um. And what about Portland? Of
1: course, Portland. I was thinking of San Diego, but we haven't been there together.
0: Uh, what's south? Time. Um, not San Diego, but um, something or yeah, no, San Diego. San Diego is really wonderful.
1: Yeah, but I've been there with mom.
0: And I've been there on business, so we've both been there separately. I'd, okay. I'd put San Diego okay. on the list. What about Vegas? No. I mean, it's fun indoor skydiving,
1: <sighs>
0: although lots of cigarette smoke, too. Unfortunately, Salt Lake City, we just drove through, but oh my god, wasn't it, was it? so beautiful? It was so insanely beautiful, all those mountains just right there. Yeah. I mean, it would have been nice. This is when we were moving from um, Bend, Oregon, to Austin, Texas, yeah. and we just drove through and, and looked around, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Why didn't we stay here for the night? Yeah, keep driving.
1: Yeah. I don't know what we were in a hurry for, but yep, And we got there at sunset. So we must have been staying. So, oh, we were going down to the Carlsbad Cavern.
0: Was oh, we... okay. Were
1: we on the way to that?
0: Something like that. Maybe I, think
1: that... I don't remember. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Okay. So we've got Seattle, Portland, uh, San Diego. We've got, I'm just looking. Austin
0: Uh, yeah, Austin. That's, so that's four.
1: four. We haven't done a lot in the middle of the country, No. to be honest.
0: There's... I I, I, we, I did a cross-country road trip with my parents when I was, I must have been 11 or something like that. That was pretty much almost everything that happened in National Land Lampoon's vacation <laughs> happened to us uh, in various sundry uh, ways. Uh, New Orleans was amazing. Remember when yeah. we drove from Austin to yeah. New York to fly to England? That's true. So, that was really yeah, New Orleans was, was really incredible. Um, I don't really have, I mean, we spent some time in in Florida. I don't really remember anything strongly about it.
1: Yeah, uh, My mom lived near Okeechobee for yeah. many years.
0: Washington, D.C. was really cool.
1: Definitely Washington, D. Yeah, D. it
0: was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that's all we did. We, we, we ended up being like on the East Coast for like a month and all we did was New York City and Washington, D.C. And like you said, Corning. C- Corning. All uh, right, if you want to call Corning a city.
1: Okay, well, there, we also were. We went through North Carolina, remember, because I wanted to get a feel for North Carolina. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't really remember much about it, though. Do you know
1: what? I, what I mainly remember is that beautiful highway we were on and the guy, the highway maintenance guy, out in the middle of the road mm-hmm. with no cones or a vehicle with flashing lights or anything, doing some sort of road maintenance out <laughs> in the middle of the highway What? with no protection. And I thought...
0: I don't remember this at all.
1: Well, I was driving, so okay. I definitely remember it.
0: Yeah.
1: Holy cow. Anyway, that was somewhere around Raleigh.
0: Yeah, I think we're at six. We're having a much harder time with America than we are with Europe. It's tough to limit ourselves to ten in Europe.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Spokane, <laughs> Olympia. Um,
1: well, there's uh, he's asking for cities too. So yeah, he has asked for cities. Large.
0: I mean, Bend is wonderful. Eugene is really nice, although we've only been there a couple times, yeah, just in passing. Kind of passing. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's mostly just been places we've lived. Yeah. I mean, you did put San Francisco on the list.
1: No, we put
0: San well I mean, but San, obviously San Francisco, though, I mean you wouldn't put San Francisco, I mean San Francisco's amazing, yeah. all right, well, you don't have a strong feeling for it, that's fine, yeah, um and uh yeah, I mean, we've been through Phoenix a few times, we've been through Tucson, some, but I don't really not that it ever left a strong uh sense um. And then Salt Lake City was, I mean, I would definitely yeah. love to spend time there. Yeah, definitely. well, that's the whole
1: Bryce Canyon. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd like to go back and spend some time there. And
0: I don't know that I've ever been in the state of Montana, or maybe just driving through. I don't really have much feeling for Wyoming. Um,
1: oh, I've been to Denver.
0: Well, you want I, to put I Denver, Denver on this? Denver was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's Mork and Mindy. Sure, why not? Go <laughs> hang out with Mork. And, uh, for Mork. Let's see. Uh... There's some place in New Mexico you really like. Yeah, it was it's Santa a little, Fe. No, it wasn't. I mean, no. There's some smaller town that you. It was like some artist commune that you oh, wanted to live in.
1: Well, Santa Fe is where Bullseye has a uh-huh. um, branch right. office thing. So we. Were but I mean, at
0: yeah, that. but you don't really feel that strong about Santa Fe. No. And um, and not San Antonio, certainly not Dallas or Houston. Those yeah. are boring cities. No offense to Dallas and Houston fans. <laughs> um, yeah, but New Orleans was amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I can come up with 10 in all honesty. I feel kind of bad about that. I've literally driven from one side of the country to the other, but it was as a kid, so I don't have strong feelings about a lot of it. Yeah. I've been to Atlanta several well, times. About, but
1: about um, Hawaii? We liked Kauai Okay, quite a lot. Yeah. That was really nice. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed driving on the Keys, down there. But I don't know that that's a city.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he really uh, hamstrung us with the city thing. I mean, in all honesty, we're really not city people. Um,
1: well, I'm I'm a city person in that I just love the sense of history that's there. And yeah, yeah. It's Which America around. doesn't have
0: for the most part. Yeah. I mean, someday we'll get to Boston. We've yes! neither of us have been to Boston. We really we, want to go to Boston. We really do want to do that because I mean, if you want history, you got to go to the East Coast, basically. Yep. Because everything else is still very has that new country smell on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, never been to Detroit. Never been to Chicago. No. Indianapolis. Been there several. Or no, you haven't. I've been there you a few have. times. Yeah. And you went
1: for it was just yeah, for the convention.
0: I don't remember anything about it other than the convention. So yeah, I, I don't think we can come up at ten. That's our best we can do. Plus, oh. Yannick, you've made me had to blur out video. Arg. Extra work. But that's okay. Let's uh, get back to us. Boop. Okay. So you're welcome. Hopefully, that was of some value to you. <laughs> um, okay gerald wonders which world would we rather live in a the years 2070 10 years after mother skynet not the Terminator one, was given ultimate power to protect humanity. No car deaths, no drownings, no murders. Every human must remain alone in apartments to ensure humanity can live free and physical harm forever. Uh, no more jealousy from some people, as there are no sexual or family relationships, and new humans are born safely in lab, defect-free, with genes and temperament suited for modern life. Everyone's employed, everyone has a computer admin job, and they must do it for eight hours a day. This job provides enough credits for rent, lab-grown food, clothing is needed, 25-minute outdoor time per day, pills if you need to change your mood from sadness to neutral and all other medical care you need. On your downtime, you watch Mother Skynet approved entertainment. You die at 125 years old without ever worrying about dying early or being physically harmed. Humans now live the safest and longest lives than ever before. Or B, it's negative 5,000 BCE. Living in a tropical forest with a tribe, sometimes there's natural disasters. Some loved ones die occasionally. Most of the time you work with others four hours a day, not for money, but to obtain food and water for your family and tribe. Uh, you do what you want for the rest of your day. Every now and again, you you help build a free house for newlyweds. You die at just forty-five years of age. Um, so, which one do you want, honey Pie? I, don't want I reject the um, thing because this is not the future we would have. Um, but we'll go with the with the with the make believe one you've created. So, which one do you want, Honey? Neither. Now yep, you have to pick one. Gerald has d- insisted.
1: Um. Well. You can, You have to work for eight hours a day.
0: Yes, in a meaningless job.
1: And you have twenty-five minutes of outdoor time.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. And so he, he's going out of his way to uh, create. I mean, this this is movies. not the future for humanity. Um, you know, automation means people work. I mean, really what you described is the negative 5,000 BCE where people work because they want to, and you know, they have the free time to do whatever they want. That's our future, but without dying at 45 years old or worse because of disease or Famine or, you know, natural disasters. Our real future is the best of both of these combined. But you're trying to create, you know, one, a moderately realistic one, and a, you know, a, what do you call this? This is a Brave New World-style dystopia.
1: Yeah, well, still, you, you're, you've you only accounted for 8 hours of 25 minutes of my 24-hour day. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to spend all the rest of the time watching Mother Skynet. No. I m- imagine I will be able to figure out some other stuff to do with myself.
0: Well, apparently you're not allowed to ever see a person or something like that um, because people can't live together. Every human must remain alone in apartments to ensure humanity. So basically, it's permanent lockdown, appar- apparently. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he is suggesting... Um, I mean, he doesn't leave out the existence of the internet and the ability to create. So you'd still be able to have communication. You'd still be able to have real connections with human beings. He's kind of uh, extrapolating kind of what we just lived through yeah. or what, you know, and you know, on some level we're still living through. You can still have a robust, you know, creative life and a social life, but it would be facilitated by online.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess... And you'd live to be
0: 125.
1: If I had to choose between those two things, I guess I would choose the longer life.
0: I would too, yes.
1: Get to Because
0: this, the option B really glosses over the true horrific nature of this. How it will absolutely be the worst thing ever. I mean, we've watched enough episodes of Solo- Alone and Survivor and whatnot yeah. to know just how bad it is without all the modern or we come to know and rely on day to day. And again, um, I mean, this is him trying to make it as bad as possible. This is not what it would really be. But even assuming for this... Um, I, he said Mother Skynet approved entertainment. I'm assuming it's still human created, just Mother Skynet approved. Mm. So um, that means there are still creative outlets. Uh, you know, everybody has their own YouTube show for all intents and purposes. And um, yeah, you can still form attachments with people, just not physical ones, apparently. Um, so yeah, and if we chose different, would we be willing to move um, to World B so we could live together. Um, well, we didn't choose different. We both chose the same thing. So yep. I'll, I'll see you on the interwebs in the future, <laughs> I guess. All right. Um, from Nick, Nick applauds my support of local agriculture through the purchase of locally raised livestock or our, you know, this is mostly Jen's, uh, thing, uh, several podcasts ago, we quoted a price we were paying per pound for livestock. Is that price based on hanging weight or delivered weight?
1: Hanging weight.
0: Hanging weight, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means, but hanging. Not delivered. <laughs> hanging! Uh, based on a Nick's and Nick's parents' experience with selling the livestock they've raised, when someone purchases whole or portions of livestock, I believe it's based on hanging. Oh. Correct. Yep. Apparently. This may be an important distinction for your listeners. If you are unfamiliar with hanging weight, it is the weight of the prepared carcass prior to butchering trimming for beef animals. Between 40 and 50% of the hanging weight is typically lost in the butchering and trimming process. So
1: yeah, but for us because we feed our dogs raw meaty bones, some of that is yes. actually
0: yeah we, being we used. yeah we, we do get as much of the offal and the
1: uh, well meaty uh, bones yeah I mean duck just uh, what a couple what? weeks ago what? we had a we had half of a pig head that oh had my been sitting wow in the freezer for a year yep and we had to take it up and chop it up into yep. manageable bits. Because yep, and, again, why why waste that? The dogs loved it.
0: Oh, they loved the eyeballs. They did. And they the bits did. of brain and yep, all of that. Oh my did. gosh, they were working on that for days. Yep. Just always trying to sneak it into the house.
1: Yeah, that's true. But the only thing they didn't eat were the teeth.
0: <laughs> yes. And that was kind of, that was probably the grossest thing about the whole thing. It was, was not the eyeballs disgusting. or the brain, it was the teeth. Yep. That um, <laughs> got knocked out or just, we found bits of jawbone with teeth. Yeah. You know, scattered around in hidden pockets <laughs> for the next week or so.
1: But, I mean, so...
0: Yeah, we, we try to get as much use out of it as we can. I mean, we always say, hey, give us all of it, because it's what our dogs are evolutionary predisposed to eat. Um, So it's their chief health. All right. Did you both retain your U.S. citizenship when you gained U.K. citizenship? If not, why do you retain? We both maintained. Yep. If we couldn't, would we have done it? I think we wouldn't have. I think I we would have held so. on to our U.S. citizenship yep. in spite of our complaining about the uh, healthcare system. Um, yeah. What limits, if any, do you both of you place in using the power of this? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. This was. Um, ah. I, I, I was. I, Nick was the one who had a very long trees about the uh, the the gun the the, the new license free gun laws in Texas and how I was not reporting it correctly. And yes. To be fair, Nick, there was certainly more to it than what I said, but the kernel of what I said was still true. And regardless, I'm not gonna go down that route. I was trying to avoid the the tough ethical things. It was fun talking about um, chopping up pig skulls though. Yeah. So we'll just stop there. And thanks for the question, Nick. I'm, I'm sorry, I know in the past we've always said take everything, but I just I just have to I, I just have to try to make this less stressful and um, so I can keep doing this every month. And, I mean, general confirm, it's just so incredibly stressful. I mean, you've seen how worked up I get over this with Jack attacks and all that. And it's no offense to you, Jack. I mean, some people have said, Oh, why do you have Jack on? He's clearly a sea lion. He's just trolling you. And, like, no, I I think Jack's a good person. I think they're genuine questions. I think he definitely wants to reach out. But still, I always get kind of the impression, Jack, for you, it's a little bit of a game. Um, Or, you know, you're doing it for fun. Whereas for me, it's like, Oh, God, this is going to be so painful. Now i got to go do a bunch of research so I'm ready. And it's like, oh, no, I just don't want to do it. So I'm sorry. We're just taking a break from the heavy stuff. So no offense, Nick. Um, but thanks for the other questions. Oh, and hey, honey, we're at the end. Words of wisdom time. And also, as a follow-up from Henrik, can we make this into a regular thing? Um, he actually no. wrote a whole separate thing about oh. how there, there's a timing of when he tries to do it. And that's why he's missed sometimes. Okay, Henrik, it's an official thing. We'll always end. You can your, your, your service is at an end, sir. <laughs> Thank you. So, and Jen had it, but apparently her phone got asleep, so she's trying to find it again.
1: Yep, sorry, hold on just a second. Can you, can you...
0: I got nothing else other than dogs, so we got to get this before we can get to the dogs. Oh, gosh.
1: Sorry. Sorry. What happened? You had it. I did. Uh...
0: Yeah. All right, I'm going to hit pause for a second, okay. folks. We'll be right back. Okay, turns out she was on the wrong Instagram page or Pinterest page, and she's like, none of these are wise. What is all? Stuff. <laughs> and she eventually found out. So she found one. Let me go ahead and put it on screen. Um, boop. No amount of anxiety can change the future. No amount of regret can change the past. Okay. And that's where we're going to end it, folks. And if you don't want to hear us ooh and over puppy dogs, once again, thanks for listening. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Otherwise, we got a few... Uh, key puppy pics. Here we go. And I forgot who it was who's just tired of seeing the puppy pics. I'm sure you've left by now. Alrighty. So it's Yuki oh, and Kaipo nice. have recently been groomed. Oh, That's why goodness. the sentence was weird because I just took this part out and took Yorkies have hair, not fur. So they get groomed frequently. Oh. I mean, what does that mean? Is it literally a different... Do you know what that means? That it's different than dog fur?
1: Now I wonder if lots of opsos have hair, not fur.
0: Maybe. Yep. Maybe if it's but these are the oh, most God. ridiculously cute dogs yes. in the universe. Look oh at that. Look gosh. at that.
1: Little button eyes.
0: That's like a stuffed animal. That's like it was designed by science for maximum cuteness.
1: It might have been designed by humans for maximum
0: cuteness. <laughs> yes, yeah, so or the hairstyle might... Oh, yeah, you're right. Of course it was. Of course, yes. This like Billy Bred for maximum cuteness. And success. Yep. All right. Tick that box. Yep. And then I believe we've got, yep, Charlie and Sky make her turn Aww. again. I just always love these Charlie pics. That is one photo. And sorry to Sky. But geez, Louise, Charlie's got to be one of the most photogenic labs I've ever seen, um, <laughs> and and Sky's cute, and Sky's wonderful too. All righty, and then I think we've got a new one—a oh. picture of Platon, who will turn two uh, in August. He's supposed to become a guide dog. Was a bit too emotional. Training was stopped, and because he needed yeah. family, now very happy and privileged to have him to care and love. Oh. Such a treasure. Oh. Hey, Platon or Platon, another lovely lab. He is beautiful. Yep, very adorable. And then the last one, pics of dog... Oh, how would you say that? rue R-O-U-X. Yeah, Rue. that you may share, is a Wheaton Terrier, loves to jump up and kiss people and uh, give the Wheaton greeting. Roo! Oh, Look at that Roo. Nice. He would like to say hello to rue Roo. Roo has just jumped into a big pile of ice. Yes. Uh, does not understand uh, that apparently it's for chomping on. It must have been a hot day for a hot dog. <laughs> Alright, so thanks as always for the pictures, folks. Very much appreciated. Uh, we do love dog pictures. We
1: do love dog All right. pictures.
0: Alright. Okay, for the third and final time, folks, thanks very much uh, for watching and listening. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye bye.